Hey, yo, what's good? What's good? What's good? Welcome to Reflections of a DJ, the Road Podcast. I'm your host, DJ Crooked. We have DJ Neva. Yo, what up? We got DJ D Miles. What's good? What's good? We got Jamie the Great. Yeah. And we got the hip hop goat himself. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We got, we got Shecky Green in the building. Yo, what's going on, you know. peoples? What's up? What's up? Now, Shecky, uh, we've been kind of speaking through texts and messages. Uh, if anyone's ever heard, if, if you guys have been paying attention to Twitter, there's been a debate between uh, A-Track and Rocktacon. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know some of these heavy hitters like Craze, right, got involved, and some guys from uh, New York who are working DJs as well, like dances, got involved, and it's been this big debate on Twitter over basically um, the plight of working DJs and how possibly somehow, and I think how EDM may have affected the um i don't know the opportunities for open format djs to thrive in the past 10 years and i also think and i think shecky you agree a lot of this has to do with the death of dj am um yeah absolutely i mean when i read those when i read people talking about open format djing which, by the way, is a pretty stupid name. Right. If we, if we can all, I think we can, we can all, all agree. Yeah. yeah. It's like how many people go to a party and said, if you love open format music, put your hands in the air. <laughs> right. You know? yeah. I mean, nobody. Uh, but anyway, we all know what open format means. It means you play everything, basically. Mm-hmm. But it means you also have a hip-hop foundation. But to your point, I, I think underlying that whole conversation, and I've been following it like everyone else, you know, reading it on Twitter, I, I think that DJ AM is kind of the presence that underlies any conversation about mashup style DJing in America and Las Vegas. And, and I do agree, I think it's pretty obvious. And last time you guys had me on, I think we spoke a little bit about how his death kind of left a giant void in that space of a guy who is a star and he plays everything, you know, um, not an EDM guy. He's a guy that plays all tempos, all formats, mm-hmm. all genres. But, but yes, absolutely. I think any conversation about this subject, you got to have DJ AM at the center of it because yeah. he's the guy that pretty much forged the way and, and invented it, you could say. Yeah, yeah he's like the foundation mm-hmm. of everything. So, yeah, well, do you think, because just based off of A Track's tweet, his initial tweet, the fact that He's kind of just now putting two and two together that there's a void. Does well, that show like well, a lack of? Well, let's let's break down in in as many few words as possible what the issue was. Yeah. And I think it started with a track going to uh, this DJ retreat that DJ City started with DJ Vice. It Beyond. was called Beyond the Music. It was in uh, Black Hawk, Colorado. I'll get into more about that retreat, but at some point in the retreat. Um, a track was on a panel with Miles Medina and Caper, and they were talking about uh, the topic of the panel was skills versus bills. And at some point, I believe during that retreat, and I'm, I'm actually want to talk about this because there was a, a, a female DJ, a, you know, a woman DJ from New York that had an issue in New York. She asked for advice, and Miles Medina and um, A track, as great as those DJs are. I think maybe some of their advice was not conducive to her situation. Does that make sense? It didn't connect well. It didn't. Well, I just think there's a disconnect that uh, when you reach a certain plateau uh, of DJing where you kind of dictate what you can play, Mm 
mm-hmm. and you uh, are attracting a certain amount of like you're attracting a following that are there to see you and and like celebrate you and 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 all of your skills and everything it's very different from an unknown dj who's really just making the room dance yeah. on their own just from yes and just we all music selection speaking not just the people in this room i think we all know that that's a harder job you know we all let's just say from the beginning coming into a room where you're not famous and making that people dance is harder than coming into a room when you're famous and making people respond to you right mm-hmm. yeah. and yeah. and that and it is it, it is overall a great thing that this subject is being brought up because for too long the plight of the working man dj right you know the hard working guy that's not famous that shows up every night that's that you know doesn't sell tickets but also doesn't push people away, keeps people in the venue, mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. is something that's kind of what you guys' podcast is really all about. I think that's kind yeah. of like the th- sort of. I mean, the- that's why I started this this podcast because I was telling these guys earlier. I mean, you can have a podcast with Jazzy Jeff, uh, with Qbert, with Craze, and everybody, and these guys won't know what's going on in the streets, like what's going on in every region of the country where the local DJ is struggling. Mm -hmm. And that's really what we talk about weekly, Mm -hmm. week after week. How does the Michael Jackson documentary affect us little guys? How does it affect the clubs? Because we're so close to the people. Mm -hmm. Front lines. We're in the front front lines, yeah. Yeah. Trenches. I I would always talk to um, Ross One, and I would always bring up Band of Brothers, and they would Mm -hmm. bring up Easy Company. And Easy Company was, uh, you know, a platoon or a company during World War II that they always got sent first. They yeah. were always at the front lines, and they were always there, and they were, and they just never really got that much credit, but they ultimately were the backbone of like winning the war. Mm. You know what I mean? But And that's what I feel like us working DJs are. We are easy company. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, we're yeah. always on the front lines. We have to hold it down, and we are closest to what's going on. Yeah, we're here first. With the crowd. You know what yeah. I'm saying? But I want to go through... What a track said, mm-hmm. and I think uh, Shecky, you know, with your background of uh, <laughs> <laughs> of great education. journalism, it's just because I'm Jewish and he's Jewish, so they yeah. want a Jewish guy <laughs> to represent the Jewish guy. Keep yeah. it all in the star of David, you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> but anyway, so yes, a track tweeted um, a few days back on March eighth, <clears throat> and and by the way, let me just coin this that well, throw this in there that a track came to this kind of. I wouldn't say revelation, but he came to this observation, maybe. Uh, I would say due to uh, a couple of things, but I would say one of the main things would be maybe interacting with some of these local DJs at the retreat. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think A-Track's been speaking about DJs for a long time. I mean, A-Track writes about DJs often. He yeah. wrote for me uh, for Point on Medium about DJs. He writes on his Instagram often about DJs. Mm-hmm. So my impression when I saw this is this is just another lesson in his long list of okay. lessons about DJs, you know, okay, or, or cool, things cool. he's learned. But at any rate, let's let's put it out there and then I guess we'll talk to the people themselves. That's yeah. kind of the, the so big we're surprise. Gonna, here, yeah, right? we're gonna we're gonna try to call A track and get him on the phone. Yeah. Excellent. So we're gonna bring it bring it live to yeah. everybody. Okay, beautiful. <laughs> I'm not scared. All right. I'm not scared. <laughs> I'm not frightened. So A track said, I'm realizing how much of a hole there is in the infrastructure for DJs in North America, specifically for open format DJs. The whole DJ business changed drastically in the last 10 years, and there's pockets of the DJ scene that kind of got left out. Those changes happen with the explosion of EDM. Money brings change and infrastructure, like in any sector. 
When DJs started having huge hit records and the event space boomed, festivals, tours, ticketed venues, the business became legit. DJs used to get known on the strength of their DJing, duh. But then DJs started becoming known for their songs and that created serious draw to other markets. That also created a need for proper managers, lawyers, etc. The social media boom happened at the same time. The old school model was most DJs had an agent slash manager, which isn't ideal, church and state. But most of us didn't need managers before. I was DJing for 10 years, multiple time world champion, etc. before hiring my first manager. The model worked all the way up to the DJ AM era when bottle service clubs became more prominent and Vegas opened up to more DJs. But those types of venues and clubs don't respect DJs, so DJs need representation. After that, the music exploded and an entire industry was built. But what about the DJs who weren't producing records, who truthfully are better DJs than most of those getting known for their hits? The club scene got caught in a bubble, a time warp. And here's where it gets weird. Then the EDM bubble burst. Club talent buyers started saying they were going back to booking open format DJs. For those who don't know, that means a multi-genre DJs rooted in hip hop. But most of those DJs don't have modern agents, modern biz. The DJ explosion that happened earlier in the decade created fast growth, but now I find the scene needs some nurturing. And there's a lot of excellent DJs who still need representation. It's wild, a celebrity DJ is more likely to have a legit agent than a good open format DJ. I think part of the problem is also because of the handful of people in a position of power in that club scene, that open format scene, it's very clicky, which in my opinion hindered it from riding the big wave a few years ago. Some people were too self-content to even see the wave. The end result is a bunch of very, very good skilled DJs who don't have an infrastructure. I went to a Beyond the Music retreat last week organized by DJ City and DJ Vice. It's clear that there's a big demand for mentorship, leadership, guidance in the scene. It's a great start. We need more though. I don't understand why the main booking agencies aren't picking up more of these DJs. There has to still be a viable lane for DJs whose main focus isn't to produce music or be an Instagram personality, but just to be a great, reliable DJ. Well said. Um, Good read. I mean, I think we all agree with with A-Track, yes? Yes. Um, I think maybe when Rakhtakhan saw this, he maybe thought it was... Too late. Uh, too it was, a little too, too late. late. It was I mean, like a, it was maybe that revelation or that him that, saying this on Twitter was maybe like ten years too late. Yeah, the conversation's been happening. Well, one, I mean, I think it would be appropriate maybe to read Rakhtakhan's response so that then we can kind of get it all out there and yeah. So let's go into Rakhtakhan. Crooked has volunteered for that. For that <laughs> he's voice, the, he's the reader for that voice. <laughs> yes, via Rakhtakhan. This should be. Uh, this is in, This is great. This is interesting. <laughs> all right, all right. So Rakhtakhan responded. Um, a track should uh, should not speak on issues modern open format DJs face. That thread makes zero sense. He doesn't speak for any of us. He's never been one of us. There's no problem if you can't put bodies in the club or sell tables. You're a working stiff. That's fine. It's a respectable thing to be, and you can earn a good living. But being good at DJing has never been enough. Enough to get you to the next level make great music, run a promotions company, be an Instagram star, date a reality TV star, do whatever you got to do to put bodies in the club. But if you can't sell tickets or create the illusion of selling tickets, shit, be happy you even work. 
I watch so many d- guys my age and a little older, younger struggle so fucking hard with why isn't being good enough. It's just not. Why isn't uh, being a good DJ enough? And he's saying it's just not. Not in fucking Vegas, not in bottle service land of illusion. You need a hook, a story, some bullshit to draw Becky in. Hustle bullshit. People out here wishing clubs uh, would start really caring about good DJing. Wish one in hand and shit in the other. See which one fills up first. Half these DJs, uh, DJs people act like are good can't even fucking play. Nobody is ever going to give a fuck that you're good. Nobody's ever going to understand the craft for real. A few experienced club managers, a few DJs, a few fans, that's it. Uh, you have to make them understand, uh, but doing stuff that has nothing to do with being a good DJ. It's a nightmare, but it is what it is, man. If you're willing to do the work, all the infrastructure is in place for you to succeed. If you can get bodies through the door, you will win. I 100% guarantee it. Look at Harvey. He is one of the ultimate working DJ success stories. It took a long time and a lot of work, but Harvey found a way to put bodies through the door all over the world. Yeah, some of it was being good. Some of it was his consistency, throwing his own parties, storytelling, branding, etc. Bunch of babies out here mad because they can play a couple records together and the clubs don't respect them. Yawn. Been there, bro. Good luck to you. End rant. Well, one more thing. <laughs> I will say you can totally. I can. I will say you can totally build your core following around being a good DJ. A lot of people have done it, and I think it's a great place to start. But combining good with other uh, sellable concepts is where the rain comes. Uh, Tubby Little AM was doing well in LA before Nicole Richie, and if he had only been mediocre, he still would have had a stream off her. But being dope and dating her changed everything. He used to act like he got booked because he was good, but he was good and he was a shrouded in celebrity. Uh, good is the foundation and mortar you can build a career with, but it's not the entire house. Um, okay, I'm done for real. <laughs> um, hmm. And that's his side of it. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, in, uh, look, the, the top level response I think anyone will have is that in some ways they're both right. Yeah. You know, I think they're mm-hmm. both making points that every, most DJs would agree with. Um, <clears throat> however, I... I mean, let's. Why don't we try to speak to them and and see? Because yeah. I think we should get illuminate from both sides, get a little light yeah. on the subject, and then we can kind of get into some of the details of what what the story is all about. We're gonna call a track. A track. Yep. What's up? Uh, this is Crooked Man. You're live on the Road Podcast, my friend, and I've got actually a good friend of ours, uh, Shecky Green, is on as well. Shek. A track. What's up, brother? I'm Shecky. Um, so we're here, we, we just went through kind of your, your tweets and we went through Rathacon's tweets and we wanted you to kind of like, uh, I guess further explain maybe where Rathacon thought you, there, you have a disconnect with the working DJ, so you really mm-hmm. shouldn't be the spokesperson for their plight and maybe that mm-hmm. you're not maybe aware of some of the struggles at hand. And I think his main thing was that. Maybe it's like maybe this observation that you had or, you know, what you were trying to express is maybe, you know, 10 years too late, you know? Look, it's not the first time that I have this thought. The reason why, like, I don't put all my business and other people's business on Twitter either, but just to give you a little bit of insight, those tweets um, happened at that specific time last week because on one hand, I was finding out 
about one booking agent in particular who was getting let go and consequently a lot of his DJs getting dropped from a pretty big agency. And I was like my jaw dropped finding out that certain DJs that I think are really skilled and should have a stable situation are finding themselves without an agent. That on one hand and reflecting some of the conversations at the Beyond the Retreat, which was just a few days prior, um, which really showed me on a business and infrastructure level where um, where there's disconnects between different parts of DJing. And I don't really care if Loxicon thinks that I'm too late on a comment or really what his opinion is on me. I literally, I have no problem with Loxicon. I the guy in a long time, know him a little bit from maybe the turntable lab area, you could call it, but like, I can understand that he might feel that it's not my place to speak, but my thing is, I got so much, so many, uh, so, yeah, so much response from so many DJs from what I was saying, and I know, like, when there's people literally hitting up and saying, yes, please, can you, can you give me advice, or what do you think, or what, you know, can we hop on the phone soon, like, this is really striking a chord. That's what's important to me. If if this guy and whoever else shares his opinion thinks I should speak on those things, that's their opinion. That's fine. And I'm able to... I literally have no problem with what he's saying. But if there's that many people hitting me back and saying, yo, you know what? Thank you for speaking about um, the situation that we're in and, like, do you have advice when we talk? That's important that shit really hits home for me that shit hits my heart i'm gonna you know i'm, I'm gonna make myself available for anybody that wants to talk so no, no doubt i mean i and, think I, I think and, and also just sorry to show up but also like the thing that's a little funny to me is what part of what loxicon was saying doesn't go against what i was saying I think the guy just doesn't like me, maybe. I don't really care. I'm like, I'm sure it's, 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 yeah. I, I really don't care. I really don't care. I'm wishing that that's totally fine. I think he just doesn't like me, and I'm very comfortable with that. I've had people hate on me since I was a 50-year-old world champion scratch these days. It's, that's never been a problem with me, and I'm, I can carry on with my life where it's like, it's not on my mind. Because um, my... The, the message of my tweet and the reflection I was making, and again, like in the Twitter times, it's too easy to say, well, you're too late. No one knows when those, you can't, like, maybe I was thinking about this just five years ago. You're not in my, like, he's not in my brain. It's silly to be like, oh, you're late. That's some physical Twitter shit. The, ref, the point I was making was really from a business standpoint. And Shecky, you could probably assess to some of this. But I would say I have... Uh, a vantage point to see all the different sides, all the different types of DJs. I might be the DJ who sees most different facets of DJs. It's me and Wes. We're the two guys who can really see the 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 new hip hop DJ, like the the sort of Chase D generation. Because I I can hang out with fucking Funk Flex or Grandmaster Flash or any of the other guys. The festival the festival shit from from the, you know, uh, uh, Gremlin dubstep vibes to, like, V-neck European DJ Mag Top 100 guys, um, all the way to fucking 
uh, these uh, uh, DC Fen type of parties. Like I know all those dudes, and I see, and I see how their business is run, and I feel like this dialogue on Twitter on Twitter in the last couple of days straight away from the point that I was trying to make, which is I believe that for all these other um, sort of subfields of DJs, the business has evolved and grown. And there's an infrastructure that's been put in place. That's why on the tweets I talked about EDM so much because that's what brought in the infrastructure. There's agents, there's managers, there's types of deals, rates have changed. Rates went up and went down and went back up. It went through like multiple phases. Mm -hmm. um, and like I said, the, those couple things that, that I saw last week between some of the conversations at Beyond the Music and seeing what happened behind the scenes about this agent that I don't need to name, uh, just out of respect, um, it, made, it just made me think like, wow, for club DJs and for people who mostly play the, you know, the local spot and a couple, a couple, a couple things on a grassroots level in other cities, through friendships with friends in other cities, I'm just like, I'm, I'm just seeing how much the, um, that infrastructure is, is not on the same level. It's not there the same way that I've that I've seen that infrastructure grow everywhere else in DJing. So, if Homeboy thinks that I shouldn't talk about sub DJing, again, I don't think he's even listening to what I'm saying. I'm saying, yo, I'm seeing something missing here compared to all these other types of DJing that I traverse every other weekend too. And maybe there's conversations that can happen there, you know, because I think some of the agents and managers that are in that state are kind of in cahoots with the clubs and keeping the DJ down. There's not someone who's really, there's a leverage, there's a leverage that, that's missing for the DJ. Mm -hmm. I'm just stating what I see. Maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm half right, half wrong, but I'm just stating what I'm seeing as a conversation that comes to, that can come from that. And um, I'm fine with what lots of, and maybe there's someone else who, I didn't, you know, I only see who asked me. Um, maybe there's someone else who didn't like what I said. I don't know, but... It, you know, I'm, I'm trying to start a conversation and hopefully it could, it could help bring advice and um, support and, and, you know, mentorship or whatever it could be for whoever feels like they need it. If someone feels like they don't need it, fine. I'm not forcing anybody to talk. So I think, first of all, I think anyone that reads your series of tweets, which we, we just did, um, can any DJ will agree with what you said. I think I don't think you said anything that was even controversial. And in your defense, you've also written a lot about DJs in the past. You know, you write about DJs mm -hmm. on your Instagram and other places. I've seen you. You're frequently a commenter on the business and art of DJing. So when I first saw yeah. this, I just thought this was a non-controversial almost you know, your heart it seems to be in the right place in the sense of you're basically sticking up for the working DJ. And you're saying you've gotten, you've been lucky, as you said, to kind of see a bunch of different worlds of DJing, but you're turning your attention now to the guys that we all see every day, the guys that are in the club working every single mm -hmm. night who mm -hmm. frequently are not getting, or almost always are never getting paid as much and also aren't famous and aren't getting any of the glory, but also are sometimes doing a job that's more difficult, arguably, than... Than the, than the star DJ, especially if it's one of these yes. EDM guys. Yes. So yes. I think anyone that read that who's a DJ would instantly, I mean, there wasn't to me anything controversial about it, I think, um, but, I'm, but, but that being said, I, I kind of want to take a step back because you said some things about 
DJ AM, and you also said some things about EDM and the way those those eras kind of sort of coincided with each other. Um, and I'm just curious to hear from your point of view how to kind of tell the tell us about how you saw that change happen because you were you were pretty good friends with AM, and also after AM's passing, you you teamed mm -hmm. up with Travis Barker, didn't you, at one point, and picked up yeah, yeah, that so show? I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I did that because Travis asked me, and and you know, respectfully, he said that uh, he remembers AM saying that if there was one other DJ that he was speaking with Travis, it was me, and so you know, it was I was honored to go do a couple shows with Travis too. But even beyond that, you know, I was friends with AM for years, and a lot of people are friends with AM. I'm not even saying yeah. to have like a relationship that was different there, but um, maybe there's just again, maybe there's something about my past, the fact that I came from a different scene before and I went to kind of a different scene after. I have a certain vantage point where I can I can see um, I can see the sort of evolution of things. Um, and AM was kind of the, he was at the same time the first big superstar DJ from North America, but also the last superstar DJ before EDM happened. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, right. He was, he was, uh, the last huge DJ who never needed to have music out. Right. And that's the other thing that, like, right when EDM, uh, tidal waves hit and that changed the whole game of DJing. You know, the, the lines between artists and DJ got blurred. A lot of the, a lot of new names sort of got thrown on our shores, uh, who were people making big hit records. So then you start hearing about first it's dubstep, you're hearing, you know, Rusko, and then there's a new guy from Skrillex at the same time David Guetta's making songs with Aton. And Black Eyed Peas are making songs with Will I Am, and you know Swedish House Mafia have a fucking world number one. All this just happening. All these big names in DJing are, are are fueled by their production, and that brought along this sort of almost expectation, I think, for a lot of DJs to feel like they needed to release music to further their DJ career. And when social media started really hitting its stride. And, um, you know, everybody sort of started from zero on the social media side, having music out and or using social media in a certain, in, in like a personality type of way, mm -hmm. uh, really further, like it accelerated the rise of a lot of people. Well, and uh, uh, a track, I don't want to interrupt you, right? Uh, I actually want to go back to the, I want to go back to the, uh, the death, like the passing of AM, you know, rest in peace. But. Yeah. I want to talk about when he passed and he was kind of the champion for, I guess if you want to call it open format DJing or just DJs in general, right? He really came yeah. from the bottom up and he came from just rocking parties, doing clubs and just yeah. spreading the wealth out, like putting people on and just yeah. creating like almost like, you know, like just like putting people on and everyone was growing when he was growing, you know, it was like. It was very evident the rising that tide, the rising tide. Right. So if like when he got a bump in pay, we all got a bump in pay all the way down to yep. openers. You know what I mean? So it was a very yep. like unified like uh, thing that we all championed him. And I think when he passed, we were looking for some of the guys who were next in line to take over. Yep. And I think some of us felt that uh, some of the, the guys who were next in line went 
to EDM and abandon us. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Well, so I think yeah. I think A Track and and people like A Track and Vice were probably the top of the list at that time for people that were considered to be the next, you know, but and right. but everything kind of splintered. I think you're right about the timing was weird. I mean, I don't think it was intentional that AM's passing. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't a direct connection, but it just was the weird kind of moment where mm-hmm. there was a void and there was as as Elaine said, there's there was no one who was um, a star anymore who's just on his own DJ right. terms could draw could sell tickets just as a DJ and in a lot of ways there still hasn't been anyone like that you know mm-hmm. all this time I mean um, but at any rate so you know from your point I, of view I, I feel, if anything ahead. now a few, a few of us are trying to do that I'm, I'm trying to with the Goldie Awards trying to uh, provide a, a you know a lane and a, a place for um the next generation of DJs, I think, you know, when when Wes uh, uh, his radio show on Sirius XM, that's the place where he's able to like Diplo and Spence is a cool place for him to put on other DJs. A few of us are able now. I mean, look, this, what you're what you're saying about this sense of abandonment that happened after AM Max is uh, is fair. It's something that I've thought about myself as as time was passing. And if there's anyone in the scene that felt like I should have taking the baton and taking that spot and, and that I didn't open doors for them, I apologize. I didn't feel like I was in a position of power yet to really do that. Because I think like Shecky uh, um, mentioned, the floodgates opened so fast and it was such a new world. And, you know, in some ways it was a new and exciting world. And some of us were getting into production too and, I started school school. We're like running our own businesses. Uh, Aoki's doing Zimac. Like for a minute, it was me, West, and Aoki. Then, you know, then school came on. Like we were all kind of still in our own little houses. But we all encouraged DJs within those houses. But I don't know if any of us felt like we even had the weight yet to like change the, like, to change the game the way that Aoki did when he did. Well, he had arrived a little higher up. By the time he was doing that stuff. Well, don't you think maybe some of it may have been the fact that your path, you know, your path as a DJ wasn't the path of the club DJ or the working DJ. It, I mean, you were like a, a a kid prodigy. You know, you were like a child prodigy, yeah. and you and you you really. Um, I mean, possibly you, no. I, no, I get it. Like, I'm sure that. And and that um, and that's well, I just I just want to get this, and maybe that's why when you were coming up, it was kind of it's not a selfish thing because you're you're worried about your brand and yourself as a DJ, and the infrastructure that made you a star was really reliant on you and yourself. Obviously, in meeting you know different musicians and other DJs along the way, but it wasn't like this thing where it really was kind of like a slow and steady pace where. You, you know, DJs looked out for each other. They co-signed each other, and it kind of went up in the club world. You know what I mean? And like the nightclub, and like lounge world. Totally. You know, you know the, where I was at was the wild west. <laughs> it was the wild west, and you know, I was trying to even teach myself how to produce. I had my, you know, that didn't come easy. Like I, I was trying to start this new thing that I knew could be the next chapter, but I don't really think that I had the. the the bandwidth of the security to both accomplish this big change myself and also 
bring in you know the whole uh, you know the whole community with me. And I think you're right in the sense that when you say that I didn't come from the club world in the first place either. So um, I don't, I don't claim to know the quote unquote struggle or, or, or what it's truly like to be um, um, purely a club DJ. Uh, yeah, I don't claim to understand that from the inside. I never did, but I do claim. I do think that I have a vantage point of the whole game of the, all the different Definitely. sides of DJing. And that through the years, look, if I was at fault in those years, if I should have taken more responsibility, if I didn't have enough spiritual vision in those years, and if any of you and your peers think that I should have let out a little more, so my bad. I'm, I learn with time. But does it mean that with age, as I figure out more shit and I start to be able to come up for error and really see the whole scene as I learn, I feel like talking about shit. Like, I'm... Maybe there's points in time where, um... Where, uh... I don't know, I could have done things differently uh, along the way. I know for me, it's tough to just make that... Like, to turn that page and to start a whole new chapter. It's hard for artists to do the invention. And right. the... You know, like, for, for my career has multiple chapters. I came up during turntablism. People thought turntablism was dead in 2001. Mm -hmm. Then I found the Kanye gig. That was extremely unlikely. Why would Kanye West hire a Jewish, white, middle-class <laughs> DJ from Canada when there's a bunch of DJs around him? And when, by the way, most rappers aren't even hiring DJs, period. People weren't hiring DJs. He hired me because he was hanging out with Carmen and Quali, and they had DJs. So mm. What's the likeliness in that? That was super unlikely. Going from that to like finding these new sort of early blog house electro sounds in Europe and thinking like, oh, well, you know what? I'm going to change the sound of my production and I'm going to start making up on both tracks. And when doing Kid Sister, we're doing the early Cuddy shit and Flostradamus and all that stuff. We're building that whole movement between friends. That was a whole other endeavor. Um, I've almost changes that happened when I was in my 20s, I felt like I had my hands full even just figuring out because the, the, the entertainment world doesn't want you to have a 20, 25 year career like where I'm at now. They want you to have a five or six year career. Right. Um, especially once you, once you start having a little bit of taste the same, then the, the people want to be, you know, a year later they want to be like, all right, that was last year's thing. So my path through the years has involved multiple, multiple reinventions and making sure that none of those reinventions were too sudden and I never left any of my older music behind or anything ever felt off. And I always wanted to feel like an organic progression and that's challenging. And I, I think there's parts of my career where I felt like I had my hands full trying to do that. Yeah. So in, in 2005, 2006, was I in the field with the club DJs? No, I never pretended that I was. I was spending half my time touring with Ye and half my time just finding new music, teaching myself how to produce, rewiring fucking reason into socials, enables them all three of them at the same time to make toenails or whatever else, trying to figure shit out. But like, I meet DJs all the time, obviously, and you, when you do that for years and years and years, and you're at the plus 20 plus year mark like where I'm at now, I'm able to sort of look back or look around me and be like, all right, now I get it. You know, yeah. this. I, these 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 jacks are getting it this way. There's a 17 year old who made one song on, who got a bunch of uh, 
plays on Spotify, who's going to have a manager with a whole infrastructure, who's going to give them a tour manager and a writer with fucking hummus and whatever else, on, and all this other shit. And then if I go talk with a DJ who's playing the local club, I'm like, man, the, that structure that I'm seeing pretty much in every other lane of DJing, I'm not seeing it here. And that's all I'm speaking on, but that's all I'm saying yeah. is I'm saying infrastructure isn't in that space. Can we do something about it? And I, and I think, I'm not pretending to, to, that I came up that way. I'm just saying no, no, I no. see, I, I see I, every side. I don't think you have to be defensive about your accomplishments and your struggles. I mean, you, you, you've, you know, you've gone through what you had to go through and like reinvent yourself. And you've, you know, you've obviously, you know, created an amazing career for yourself. So we're not trying to attack your career. And why didn't you go our route? Like, that's not the thing. I think what, no, I guess that, yeah. yeah, I think what Ratikan is saying is that there is a disconnect when you reach a certain level. And I'm just going to say this, like kind of like God status, you know what I mean? When you reach a, a certain level like that and then you're, and I would say maybe the working DJs are like the common man. He's mm-hmm. saying that if you're steerage gonna, sitting in steerage, yeah, <laughs> right. And it's like when you address. I get that. I get that. If if, if Jerry Seinfeld was to speak on, but I, I think what, it's one of the, th- on the yeah. I think it's right. one of the, the things. Yeah, I think it's one of the things where Rock is saying, "I have the answers. I know exactly what advice to give." And even though you're coming with this sudden revelation now. You have no advice to give because you you don't know what we go through and you don't know. So I think it's it's like a rough way. It's like a, honestly a crude way for him to say, "You need me and we need you. You have the platform. You have the voice, but you you also got to work with guys like Rakticon who actually know what the struggle and the problems are firsthand and maybe by experience. If that makes any sense, you know what I mean? Look, yes, um, it's. I totally understand how certain DJs who've been in the clubs for, for all these years can look at me saying this now and be like, why is this both of this shit now? I get that. That's normal. I get that and I respect that. And that's why you're not, I'm not dissing rock. And it would be like everything that he was saying, he was, you know, sort of like throwing shit at my name and I'm just like, I'm cool with it. I'm like, cool, fine. I don't think he wants to have a dialogue with me. That's why when you said that you could put me and him on the phone, I tried on Twitter yesterday, and he still, he, he was still on the promotion tip. So if someone doesn't want to talk to me, it's cool. I'm okay with that, like I was saying earlier in the conversation. And my, do I, and I think that I have all the answers? Not even. I think I might have some answers, or at least some inklings or some insights when I see, again, that there is, when you talk about how the agents do business, the types of deals, what are the rates, I think that there must be things that I'm seeing in the other um, spaces of DJing that are not reflected in the sub space, where at least that's a conversation that could be started. I could be like, right, how come this isn't here because I'm seeing this everywhere else? Well, I think... I think that's an insight I can provide. I think when, when during that time over between, let's just say, 2009 and 2014, when the EDM thing was blowing up and the hip hop slash open format thing was kind of unclear of the future during that period of time. We found a lot of differences happening. A lot of things got exposed. A lot of things, you know, shifted in a sense. And by that, I mean the business side, of course, you know, the the, the pay grade was extremely changed and different versus, you know, you might have yep. a guy 
making six figures in a night. Maybe a guy makes a hundred or two hundred thousand dollars to DJ, and then yeah. the guy that comes on right after him makes literally two hundred dollars to DJ. I mean that yeah. that happens. Yeah. You know that happened a lot. And yeah. um, the business end, as you say, with with agents and managers and road managers and and that whole structure wasn't there before and as a result mm -hmm. i think and then the other thing that changed and we should also address is the audience and the expectations of the audience for what they wanted yeah. from a dj because when I, when we were yeah. all growing up i would go watch dj Premier and literally stand behind the booth and watch every single thing that he did from which record he picked up mm -hmm. and how he was using the fader mm -hmm. and all of us i think did things like that but now nobody does that. Now no one's standing behind the booth watching the DJ. I mean, unless you're another DJ or you're in the business, you know. Um, so I think, well, maybe things are changing now. Maybe it's moving. The pendulum seems to be swinging back towards the hip hop, slower tempos kind of thing. But, you know, that side of it, you kind of are in a unique position because you understood hip hop, of course, coming into the EDM boom. And I'm curious how you, how did you navigate that difference, those differences between now suddenly there's this one side of DJing with all this infrastructure and all these different kind of expectations. Yeah. And you know, you've yeah. always been a bit of an anomaly because you always show turntable skill when, whenever you DJ, whereas most of these quote unquote EDM guys do not do that, you know. But yeah. how, how did you navigate or what are your thoughts on some of those, you know, when that, when that sort of, a lot of weird stuff happened when those two things were going on. You would have an opening DJ who had to play hip hop opening for a guy that's only going to play 128 beats per minute all night? You know, you would have yeah, and 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 Shecky, you, you remember when I first got my first deal at the Win? I was at the Win in 2011, and then I went back there years later, like maybe 15 or something. Mm -hmm. but in 2011, when Win wasn't advertising DJs yet, and there was literally like maybe six DJs there, you brought Aokita to Stewart and. Uh, and yeah, there was like I'm pretty sure there was like six like right. out of county thing at the wind, and I'll always remember my first set there when it was in at the height of EDM hysteria. I I always played hip hop somewhere in my set, and I remember somewhere in the middle of my set, I I do like a, a 15 minute hip hop thing, and I get make quick mixes and stuff, and I I forget who the opening DJ was, but he was like, "Yo, thank you for playing hip hop because." Our manager's telling us that we can't play hip-hop and that people don't want to see this right now. But the crowd just went off. So this is going to help us tell the manager that, we, that people still want hip-hop. So when you talk about how did I navigate that, that those changes, part of what I thought was wild and what I, ne what I never wanted to accept, uh, accept sorry, was this really exaggerated, drastic change where for a period of a few years, especially in cities like Vegas and Miami, the club managers uh, would tell everybody, don't play hip-hop. People don't want to hear hip-hop anymore. They only want to hear EDM. I never even EDM was my thing, period. I would always just find shit in different styles and, and come up with my own set. But hip-hop as a part of it, keeping my own lineage, keeping my history and everything that I do was kind of my solution. Um, and just... I would just go in there and hope that it worked and, and, and obviously lead the crowd and, and flow with how I was going. But I, um, even as things got bigger and even as I started getting some records that were known and that people would come to my show and want to hear as well roll or duck tops or whatever, mm -hmm. um, for me that was the, that was like the, the part of my set that was almost too easy and it was all about like, um, 
making sure that I could still keep the set interesting. And I never, I never wanted to play, um, I never, I never wanted to play the obvious records either. I never wanted to play the shit that really was top ten, like just too big or whatever. Um, whether it be on the dance side or on the rap side. So, I kind of keep myself on my feet. I challenge myself with my sets, and I, I, I force myself to play unexpected shit, and then I just look at the crowd and see how it works. And, um, you know, there's, I think it was points in time when EDM got so big that I wasn't really as in demand. When, when it got so big that people really, the bookers, especially in those clubs, um, only cared about getting that project residency or, or whichever suite or whichever Dutch, um, then it wasn't even about me anymore. But like, that was only one piece of what I was doing. Um, I, th- I think you've, yeah, you've never, I mean, I've seen you DJ dozens of times. I don't think you ever really play yeah. a, a typical open format set. That's not really what you choose to do. You kind of play your own, your own thing. You kind of yeah. do your own style. Yeah. And that's part of the advantages. I think that's one of the things that kind of the undercurrent of this whole debate, if it is a debate, is that the difference between a DJ that shows up and has to please the crowd because he doesn't have a known style to lean on per se you know he doesn't like Mm -hmm. you have to play what's going to make the most people happy but you in your role in vegas and i guess with varying degrees of success in different places you have always played your own thing you know and so be Mm -hmm. it which is which is probably let's face it look when you make it as a music artist you want to express your own thing i mean that's it's a it's a level in theory above someone that doesn't do that but in reality as we know it's very hard to please a crowd constantly over years and years. And if you're one of those guys that shows up every night, the pressures of that, it's, it's largely an unsung struggle. And I think that's, you know, I think that's, while I think everything you wrote was, your heart was 100% in the right place, I guess the only argument would be someone saying, oh, well, you don't know well enough because you haven't gone through it the way we have, you know. But then, you know, people comment on, I mean, it doesn't mean you can't comment on it. Your heart was... On the side of the working yeah. DJ, I mean, yeah. it, your heart was your, your heart was definitely in the right place, and I uh, mm-hmm. I want to kind of go into what Shecky said about the difference in pay grade, where some guys were making forty, fifty thousand to two hundred thousand, mm-hmm. and the opener was maybe making seven fifty to like fifteen hundred. No, literally, like there was places at the win, and I don't care, I'll say it, that they would play the guy. The guy who closed, okay, the guy who went on like after Avicii, after David Guetta, after A Track, after yeah. everyone, would sometimes only get like two or three hundred, like because it was like a short That's shift. Wild. But you had to yeah. literally walk on stage. I mean, I will explain this to people who weren't in the DJ business that there's a guy playing yeah. records making two hundred thousand today, and then the guy going on right yeah. after him is making point oh oh one percent of that, you know, to do the exact yeah. same job. You know, it was like for the record. For the record, that only two hundred thousand dollars. No, I know, I know. I'm just. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, yeah, not that there's anything wrong yeah, with it. Hey, that. right, A track. I'll actually, I'll tell you a story of really quick, and actually, this is really okay. true. But I'm gonna make it pretty broad so it doesn't get too specific. Um, okay. During the time of 2008 or 2009, obviously after like the recession in in the U.S., right? There was like you know. Yep. The, the whole bang that the happened crash, right the, the crash. whole crash and everything um, mm-hmm. there was a nightclub there was a there was a group out here that actually told the DJs their regular resident DJs look times are hard we're gonna cut your pay 20% mm-hmm. and we all took the pay cut for 20% I found mm-hmm. out a few years later 
that they cut our 20% to give a raise to another bigger DJ who was asking for more money. <laughs> now, I think what it comes down to, because I think what it comes down to is the disconnect. And yeah. I think that's what... I think that's what you were kind of focusing on. Like, there has to be more guidance and there has to be more communication. Had the uh -huh. bigger DJ have known that he would be taking money away from the little guy, would he have taken the money? Like, I don't think A-Track, you would have taken a raise if well, you knew it his, was coming out. You that's know? not that DJ's responsibility no. to do that. That's the that's the club owner making a decision. But it's yeah. up to the to DJ. It's up to the bigger DJ, the God DJ, like in God status, to say, yo, like, why y'all taking money away from these dudes? Well, yeah. Am I, I mean, A-Track, I want to know, like, exactly in your situation, I'm sure, like, yeah. everyone wants to raise their rate, you know? Like, you would want to raise your rate, yeah. of course. But if you knew it, it was it was at the expense of uh, these little guys or these other DJs, I'm sure you wouldn't take it. You know what I mean? But no. but how do we no, solve that? How do we solve that? And how does that get communicated? Is that even something that you would that is is it disrespectful for us to approach you and say like, yo, we all took a pay cut for you, fam, so you could make this no. extra money? You know, like so that I think that's the kind of question, and I think that's maybe the the bitterness and maybe the. And some of the abandonment that some of these open format DJs feel that we weren't yeah. that that you were like you're one of us, but then you're not one of us because you're like we're taking the L, and you guys were winning at that time, and it was like, and it was kind of it looked a little self-involved, and you know what I mean? It, it just seemed like there was nothing else except the one guy on stage and the cryo and mm -hmm. him and him you know standing on the tables and doing all well, of that thank god that thank god that's over mm -hmm. now okay <laughs> is, is i mean that that's it's over, is over. It's, it's not really <laughs> it's not fully over not fully but over it's yet, pretty, yeah. pretty much leaning that way now i mean i but anyway go, well, i didn't mean to cut you off go can, ahead. can i just say just, just to say one thing the, the key part of your question like is it ever disrespectful for a dj who's opening and closing to bring up some business with me that's Never disrespectful, always welcome. If someone wants to talk business with me at a show, totally fine. And if I don't have the answers, I'll figure out how to get the answers. My Vegas rate, it's like we're talking about Vegas a lot, but I, I don't even play Vegas that much. But, uh, but I do, I, on most years, I have some sort of residency. My Vegas rates are usually, my, my manager, sorry, my agent will negotiate a deal that has usually 12 to 16 shows for the year and then they'll tell me either this is the rate i get per show or sometimes they'll be it goes from this stand to that stand depending on whether it's a big weekend or if it's a mm -hmm. thursday or a saturday blah 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 um i'm usually during like when i receive the offer i'm definitely not attributing more it's, it's information on the ins and outs of where the club gets that money Vegas is also, bottle service clubs general are different from a lot of the other venues I'd say where they make chunks of money from some millionaire buying a bunch of shit at once. As a, the, really, the majority of the club shows I think take money at the bar. They, a lot of the venues say they're selling tickets and they're making money at the bar, and it's a lot more of a straightforward form. But anyway, when you ask, is that something that could be discussed with me? Of course it could be discussed. I, I really hope that DJs uh, never feel like there's certain things that they can't broach or, or bring up with me. Um, I also feel like to, to show to bring up another side of the coin um, in a lot of different ways. In a lot of conversations I have with like the electronic side of things and some of the 
DJ slash producers who are a bit more producers. That whole side of the scene is going through a total identity crisis for the mm. last like year, year and a half too. Yep. Because the crashing, the end of EDM made a, you know how electronic music is, like a lot of people just produce by formula. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, what's the sound? Oh, we're doing Moombatone, okay, we're doing that. Oh, we're doing Deep House, okay, cool. With like a form and vocal, all right. People just copy shit. Like, yep. you listen to Deepwork charts and it's always formulas. When it got to the point where like post-Major Laser and then Chainsmokers kind of did their yep. version of the Snake and Major Laser sound, that mid-tempo, yep. airy, vaguely world, vaguely indie sound. Uh, when even that became played out, a lot of the producers slash DJs in that case were sort of, were literally like, well, what do we do now? What do we do next? And so I think in a lot of ways in the last two years, especially in North America, because North America is where things exploded so, so radically before that, there's been this sort of crisis or like, you know, like shit came crumbling down and people are trying to maintain and pick up the pieces and figure out what's next. So we should be having DJ therapy. Like this, this conversation is great. I'm glad we're doing it. And I'm glad that it's going in this direction because uh, crooked, what I was telling you on text earlier is like, I don't want to make this into like, uh, uh, H-Rack said this and Roxicon said that because it can affect me. A lot of things he said, I agree with and I said in other, in other conversations, anything about like, you gotta brand yourself, you gotta make yourself interesting, you gotta have the sort of X factor. Of course, bro, I say that shit all the time. I'm the guy that wore a fedora for fucking five years every <laughs> single day. I know about branding myself. Come on. But like, <laughs> This was a specific comment, and now I have to be sure. This was a specific comment that I was making about infrastructure, about, yeah. like, why are some of my friends who are often DJs losing their agents? What's going on? Well, why that, aren't agents picking up some of these DJs? That's the point. And I'm that, just saying, the agent, why? The agent, to me, like that, when you, and in telling your story, I think we're, we should zero just on that point, because I know what goes on behind the scenes with these big clubs in Vegas when they make these decisions, and... Yeah. The agent is the difference. That is the difference. You know, those agencies have mm -hmm. become like an A&R field of sorts where they're picking the people and sort of teaming up and like the old Def Jam days where all the stars would be in one concert tour and stuff like that. Like, you know, my point mm -hmm. is the agents have become the nexus of power in terms of negotiating yep. these deals. And none of the guys who we all know who are the best open format hip hop type DJs have agents like this so they do there is yep. a form of it of course there's there are managers and agents in the open format world as well however the, the yes. agents at the at the big agencies who are generally representing more of electronic djs and artists rather than hip-hop yes. is where yes. when they call the top clubs they're the ones that have the basically chutzpah to to request these ridiculous rates and then the club mm -hmm. because they want the big guy they sometimes say yes to something that they don't really want to say yes to, they might say yes to 25 or 50K because they want the guy that's 100 or 200K. Or they might say yes to five mm -hmm. or 10K for a guy that they've never even heard of because they still want the big guy. You know, So these agents is where the, the fork in the road happens, I think, between the working DJ and the, and the you know, higher end you know, uh, like headliner. Yeah, and look, I'm, I'm, I'm not naive to the point of saying like, yeah, well, I feel like every local local format DJ should have an agent and a manager and a manager and CAA and Paradigm should pick up all the. I, I know that it's like it's, it's, this kind of shit can't just happen 
at the snap of the finger. But I think that also specifically the agents, and sometimes you have agents slash managers, people who do both roles at the same time, who have been representing DJs in the 10 plus years, I think some of those guys have gotten kind of complacent and aren't really fighting for the DJs. So maybe, you know, like it could be like a subtle change, a small change. Maybe there's one new person that needs to come into that space and start representing a few DJs and start as a domino effect. It could be that. Um, yeah. And that to happen at the same time as the DJs themselves make an effort to brand themselves and grind. And it's, at the end of the day, it's not someone else that's going to make someone win. You know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not even saying like, oh, well, if only there was more representation, these DJs would be, would, everything would be easy for them. They, the, the artist has to grind it out. Yep. Yeah, um, definitely. But you know what I mean? But I'm just yeah. pointing out just how, how wide the gap is. And you guys know, and if there's a few people who think that it's like, I'm being fucking Captain Obvious by saying that if you've known this for 10 years, hey man, I'm sorry if I offended anyone. I know for a fact that there's a, already a lot of really constructive conversations that started out of those comments and right. not nothing this this is even one of them. you know what i mean mm-hmm. and if this could, if and if there's djs will listen to your podcast and then i come to this city and they want to just chop it up before or after the show like again let's keep it going i mean this was and 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 to go back to what i was starting to see on the tweets in the last day or two like after the fact people would be like well this h-track and craze and rock baton bit of the conversation and the people other people taking the tweets and starting to talk about skills and turntables and I was never talking about that. Yeah. Crazy is just that's my that's my fucking blood. That's my family. He's a bulldog. He saw Roxicon say some shit over right. my name and he just jumped in. I love I love Craze. He's a bulldog. Uh, I think I think where it got it, it, ugly. That, that yeah. the I think where it got ugly with Craze was when he just started bringing money and success into it, and those who don't have success shouldn't be talking, or they don't like. We shouldn't listen to people. You know what I mean? It was just. Okay, I think yeah, that was either. a little low, but I thought you know what I mean. It's it just seemed a little low yeah. at the. Uh, you know what I mean? But I think he in. He was definitely trying to defend you and like, you know, you know. Hashtag protect. <laughs> hey, check it out, Carl. Yeah. He was just defending his voice. He got a little heated because some people were like, not, you know, being disrespectful to my name. That's just whatever. That's the normal shit. Yeah. That's always, it's as old as the history of men. But, but, I mean, but, you know what I mean? Like, a track. I mean, yeah. I, I, we really appreciate. We don't want to take up any more of your time, but we really appreciate you, man. Just you know, uh, getting on yeah. a call with us and you know talking about this yeah, further no. and shit. You know, no? yeah. So no problem. Um, yo, no peace, problem. man. Thanks a lot, man. And then uh, we'll All right. appreciate well, it, brother. Thank you. Thanks for setting this up. All, All right, man. Cool. Peace. Thanks. Peace. I've never heard the word chutzpah used before. <laughs> I guess maybe him on the phone brought it out of me. I don't what know. What does that even mean? Chutzpah is like balls. Oh, okay. Chutzpah is like when you, you never have heard a, that before? I wrote it down. I was. I want to look it up. You listen. It's Yiddish. Like, right? It's like having the someone had the balls to ask for more money. Like or the cojones, chutzpah. Cojones, it's kind of like confidence. Yeah. It's kind of like confidence. It's like chutzpah is kind of like when you go in and you do something above what you even thought you were going to do. Yeah. You know. Uh, yeah, man. I mean, what do you guys feel about his? response or it was good it was sincere i mean yeah it wasn't uh i think crooked we talked about it like briefly off air when it was like uh the president versus the soldier on the front line Mm -hmm. so it's like he's the president he's running the country 
he kind of doesn't know what that frontline soldier is doing actually in the war, the nastiness, the mm. things that go on in the yeah. war. And there's a lot. They have especially the same this, ag- especially this president. They have the same agenda. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Easy, <laughs> spicy. They Jesus. have the same agenda, but there might be a disconnect. Right. I and mean, I think that's what it was. I think the right? main thing is the disconnect and yeah. the lack of communication and 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 just the bigger dudes talking to the little guys. Yeah. And I will say that about Am is that. He, he always always, always reached he out. He talked to, to everyone. He yeah. didn't care about if you made money or not. He didn't give a fuck if you were broke, if you were ugly, fat, or whatever. If you were dope on the tables, he loves you and he respected you. And he would have done, he would have came and DJ'd your shitty party for no money. Just for the fact of like, yo, he's dope and I respect mm-hmm. this motherfucker. Yeah. And I think that's the little thing that's maybe missing from the other guys a little bit you well know? i just think it's the expectations of the venue and the crowd have changed and it's like the i know for a fact that there's venues that very much want an open format dj who draws customers <coughs> everyone wants that because yeah. they don't want to spend 50k anymore they don't want to spend 25k they want to spend a few thousand to get a good open format guy that's above the rest what what's the dream i know for a fact that Anyone who's a good open format guy that can actually sell tickets can get 5K tomorrow. But they got greedy. They Who? Who the got clubs. Mm-hmm. They made bigger clubs with more tables. Yeah, they set the bar too high. It's yeah. unrealistic, right? So you it's can like only, they right. set up these so they set up like they oh let's get let's get more tables in there. Let's make it a bigger thing. Let's put more money into it and we can make more money off of that. But the crazy thing is, and you guys all know this, and I'm sure you've told the story, these kind of stories before on the show, is that a lot of times the guy that's getting the big money pushes people out of the room in other words just because you're getting the big money doesn't mean you're actually good for the club and often Mm. of course this won't last forever but there are times when they bring in the beginning of a residency of a big guy and it turns out the guy just playing hits the open format guy is keeping people there the other guy comes on and it has the opposite effect and no one everyone's afraid to speak the truth when that happens because i've seen it inside the club everyone's Mm -hmm. afraid to be the guy that says but hey wait a minute they're leaving because of him they're right. leaving because of that yeah. that headliner, yeah. not this guy right. that that's keeping people there. Um, and a lot of times, yeah, the expectations are set really high. If you and the, the in the whole shuffle, the art of DJing is what's get lost. The art of actually making people happy, looking at the crowd. And A Track is one of the few guys that maybe can bridge that gap between those worlds. But as I said on the phone, when I've heard him DJ, uh, when I said we're speaking to him. He doesn't really play an open format set per se either. He's no. kind of quirky when he DJs out here. You know, he kind of plays his own type of sound. But like, I, mm-hmm. I know so many big like DJs, like God status DJs, who come into cities and don't know what the fuck to play, and mm-hmm. they text the local opener. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, they text mm-hmm. him and say, "Send me a playlist." So it was hot. And yeah. it, but but at the same time, this dude who's making a thousand dollars a night is sending. A gold playlist to this dude who's gonna make a hundred fifty thousand a night. Well, yeah, I mean, let's and, but, but my my thing is that how do you have a conscience and <laughs> and exploit like your peers like that and run off with the money like that and not look out for that dude at any point well, in your career? The numbers have come down, okay? Because like, let me just say to all. But the let's DJs talk up, about when it was up. It was up back around <laughs> that like shit was crazy. 2010, 11, 12. Yeah. Now. All those numbers have come down. The only people making that big money are the top guys like Chainsmokers, Calvin Harris, and Tiesto, people like Tiesto. Yeah. And that's great. God bless them. They're yeah. still earning the money. But And now there's a new club here in Vegas where they hired some of the 
some of the old, some of the guys have already been at other clubs like right. Cascade, Marshmallow, Skrillo, Marshmallow. Marshmallow. Yeah. Um, so they're all getting the big money there, of course. You yeah. know, but my point is that the you know these differences in what the expectations of the crowd are and what the club has for what a DJ is. Finally, I feel like it's coming back to where if you're a good DJ and you have any little edge that helps you sell tickets, kind mm. of what Roctagon was saying. I mean, to his point. You have to hustle. You have to have an X factor, a story, something yeah. more. But okay. if you are that, dude, there's tons of work for you here. Well, I would say the energy in a big room now seems artificial. Right. It doesn't mm -hmm. seem authentic, right? Because yeah. it's it's the EDM stage is over. Right. And hip hop is just not that spectacle of an, of an experience. Do you know what I mean? Where it needs the cry of the confetti. It doesn't mm -hmm. have that energy that um, yeah. the EDM song has. Yes. So now what's happening in, and, and you know, I would say like maybe one of the first clubs to open that was not a huge mega club that's actually doing like pretty well right now would be on the record. Basically, yeah. That's a place where right now our headlining DJs are Questlove, Mark Ronson, um, Wait, are you doing an ad right now? No, I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we charge for no, those we, things over here. Know, yeah, on the record, got to cut the check. Yeah, you got to get, right. get, 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 get Sean Christie on the phone. Yeah. Yeah. Cut cut Sean. <laughs> it's not out of the question. Anything's possible. But, Anything's possible. <laughs> but my, my point is that, um, yes, that's an example, and I think it's sort of leading the way in saying we're going to book guys that are not an EDM. We're, our head, we're looking for those kind of headliners that are everything but EDM real music, hip hop music, funk music, soul music. Real instruments, you know, just just funky stuff. And I love that you guys are taking chances on the up and coming DJs like a Miles Medina. I heard, and then like a, a So Super Sam. You so know Super I'm, Sam's going to do a date. Mel Star, I don't know if you know him. Mel Star was amazing. He I, is I, yeah. amazing, and he's from Harlem. Um, you know, I think he's younger than us, but he's pretty. He's been around for a while, I think. Mm -hmm. But he's that's an example of a guy that's a party rocker. Like he has, he doesn't need any cryo, anything. He just steps up there. Right. He has mm -hmm. tons of personality. He doesn't use headphones. He just he, he literally he calls himself Mr. No Headphones. He just steps up there, plays the whole night without touching a headphone and kills it. And but I, not to you say, see it going that way though. I feel like because, things are moving yeah. back in that direction now. Right. I, I feel like you know Vegas is kind of the litmus test for the whole country in a lot of ways. And although I will say that EDM got bigger here than it did anywhere else yeah. when EDM mm -hmm. was big. But yeah. now that it's moving back to hip hop, it's more reflective of what's happening or even leading the way in what's happening in other cities. You Do you know? think mm -hmm. the venues need to get smaller in order for it to be a success? Mm. I think when this big ass mega fucking club chaos opens, uh -huh. it's inevitable for the other clubs, some of the other clubs to close. And then we'll maybe have three to four mega clubs in Vegas yeah. at, the, at that mm. potential size. And then smaller venues will stop pop popping up yeah. to me because it's like a, a bigger spot almost feels the pressure to b have bigger acts because they have to oh, it's, it's, you gotta oh, all these tables right 100 so percent. yeah before we go on to this i i want to call rock okay he's been patiently waiting and he's not a patient <laughs> motherfucker calling rock the con on the phone rock hell hello <laughs> can you hear me okay yeah yeah he's dialed it wrong good is it a FaceTime? Yeah, it's you a FaceTime audio. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. It sounds, yeah. I, don't, I don't get good service at my sounds, house. Sounds good. Oh, okay, cool. Actually, yeah. sounds better, right? Yeah, yeah it sounds, sounds a lot better, yeah. Um, what's good, man? We just actually finished speaking to A-Track, bro. Oh, cool. Congrats. And I'm, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> did, you, did, you have to go his, did you have to go through his publicist, or he just called you? <laughs> Spicy. I'm here with, um, I'm here with Shecky. Hey, Shecky, what up? What's up, brother? How you feeling, man? Listen, I'm chilling, I'm chilling. Um, and um, basically, let's get down to 
Your, res- your response, bro. Like, you know. Oh, you, you want me to just... I don't really have that much to say. I said everything I really had to say in a couple threads online. But what 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 is it what is it that bothered you about what he said? Because I mean, Shecky brought up a good point that what he said wasn't necessarily insulting in any way. But you, I mean, but your reaction seemed like you were insulted. You know what I mean? I mean, well, I think it's insulting to create this sort of fake narrative about some past time where DJs got booked on their skills and that's gone because the EDM. Like, look, I'm going to tell you like this. People were posting this thread he wrote, a bunch of places I saw it all over, and I read it like five times, and I was just like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? I just didn't, I didn't understand it at all. And like, well, I don't didn't, know. What, what didn't you understand? Explain I just, it. Well, what, like, well, first of all, the shit's barely in fucking English. I mean, I wish I could read it in the like original <laughs> French or whatever. But I mean, I don't know. Maybe it comes out of his brain different. I don't really know. No, but, but you got you got to explain it because he seems okay. To, wait, what wait, wait, I'm, what wait, 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 What he yeah. has, he seems to think in his head that you don't like him. You know, what I'm I mean, saying? it he doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether I like him or not. But he thinks your response like, was built off of like I mean, uh, it was hey, was kind it's of kind of personal. Yeah, yeah, it was just like motivated by obviously that you think he's wrong, but more that you don't like him. You know what I'm saying? It's not that I don't like him. It's just that he's never been a working club DJ. So why are why is he suddenly this voice for working club DJs? So you don't think it's right for him to even speak about it, or just to be like, "Yo, I just noticed this," or you think he should have acknowledged the fact that look. I don't, I'm not in this realm, you know, but I do notice that there's a problem here. Would that have changed right. the narrative, maybe? No, I mean, <laughs> I, I personally don't, I mean, I don't even see what the problem is. Like, first of all, okay, let me, I'll just, I'll just riff a little bit. First of all, there was never some like special era where DJs got booked on their skills. That's a false narrative. DJs get booked because of their story and their brand. It's always been like that. Some people's story and some people's brand is that they're good at DJing. And that's debatable. You could say, yeah, that guy's pretty good. Everybody has an opinion about it. But at the end of the day, people get booked for a lot, a lot of different reasons. And I think to this whole narrative about like real DJing and like good DJing and stuff is, is kind of some bullshit. And mm. it's just kind of some bullshit. And like, like for real, like honestly, I like when Steve Aoki does his like Steve Aoki thing. I don't think it's the best like DJing, but people are there to see Steve, Steve Aoki and they go ape shit and like whatever or whoever like the latest iteration of that, that is. Do you know what I mean? And like people like there's people that are good at DJing, like holding a room down and stuff like that. They're but you're saying that like but you're saying like Steve Aoki isn't going on Twitter talking about the plight of working DJs. Right? No, and like, why should he? He's an entertainer. So you're saying is that is a track kind of in the same realm where he he, he doesn't need as to a, as, as Aoki? I mean, not exactly, obviously, you know, for obvious reasons. But are you kind of saying like, are you saying that a track is more of a Steve Aoki than he is a working DJ? Oh, absolutely. I don't think there's any debate about that. When when did we start thinking that? Was it, when, what do you mean? When did we start thinking? Because that? there was I, an obvious time when we looked at a track, like yo, it's a kid prodigy, works for for Kanye, and he's hip hop. I mean, remember when he he was in his uh, fitted cap phase? You know what I mean? Like wearing streetwear and shit like that. I mean, he was definitely hip hop. And then at a certain point, 
and you know me and Shecky brought this up is that at, you no know, but when, look, when, look, look, look when, hold on hold on when AM passed is was re- was really the crossing crossroads for like are you gonna are you gonna rap who's next in well, line no, no one ever really replaced him as a as a superstar DJ that wasn't a producer basically he's he was he that was the end of that era when he passed there was never yeah but another I, I, one the, the thing the thing about that era I think the thing about that era is it's like. I think it's almost like a false positive. Like we look at AM as this like superstar DJ that was good, a good DJ, but like how much of his superstardom was celebrity driven? Like that was a factor without, for sure. No, I, I, I mean, I, that was a factor. Absolutely. Like when he was on the cover like, of Us Weekly every week, of course that didn't hurt. That helped a huge amount and made everyone want to book him and made people want to spend more money to book him and all that. Absolutely. So I just think there's, it's kind of like there was this like false positive like a false positive test result of like, oh, the DJs are getting booked because they're good. No, the DJs are getting booked because AM's fucking famous. He also happens to be good. And so people are booking in this model right now because this is the model that's hot. And I think that like, yeah, it was cool. Some people really do book like, oh, I want to book someone that's good and care about people that are good at the craft of DJing. But, it, you know, without the celebrity stuff, like... I mean, that was the number one. Like, the girls weren't coming to see fucking AM DJ because he was a good DJ. They believed he was a good DJ because they were told he was a good yeah, DJ, but they were yeah. coming because he was famous. Yeah. He was putting heads through the door because he was famous, and he also was good at DJing. It was like double whammy. It was like, right. kapow. Right. Well, that was, that was but, a but rare case. That, yeah. It was extreme. It was it's like a, rare a unicorn. A unicorn. Right. Yeah. And I think there's this narrative around, like, good DJing. It, it should be enough, but it's it's... There was never a time where it was enough. There were people that were good. Like, if you want to talk about touring DJs, it really, this kind of touring really go all, goes all the way back to Bad Boy Bill. That's really where it starts. It starts with Bill. It starts with Bill's brand as, like, a good DJ. Well, he did a lot of other shit to build his brand. He put out all these mixed CDs. He went on tour. He rocked it. And I guess you could, you could maybe make the case that, like, that's the era of, like, good DJing being a thing. But in that same era, soon after Bill, you had someone like Kiyoki, was a huge draw in that era and Kiyoki was not considered a good DJ Mm. he was a sort of celebrity driven he's the hot DJ from New York who DJs with the you know uh, the limelight people and he's this thing and superstar they called him superstar DJ Kiyoki we could barely DJ Mm. and so to me there's always been a lot of different you know and like even A-Track and these guys were around in the tail end of the big rave era like playing big raves and if you go look at a big rave flyer, it's sort of no different than what we have now. There's some really talented producers on there. There's some people that are booked because of their technical prowess. There's some people that are booked because of a, a, a multitude of different reasons. If you go look at an old rave flyer, it's all across the board. And it's still all across the board. I think that the idea that there was there's some world where like, yo, good dope DJs are like going to be the ones... It's just a it's just a false dream to sell to people. Like, let's talk real about how do we build our brands and like how do we do this thing? How do we succeed in this industry? And my whole thing about A Track is he's had a really interesting and exciting career. He's done all types of different stuff, but at the end of the day, not once has that guy ever been a working DJ in front of a crowd where he has to work and keep a crowd there. He's always been a name since he was a kid. 
But that doesn't mean he can't speak on the plight of the working DJ. I mean, if he wants I to mean, comment on the working DJ, it's not he, his heart wasn't in the wrong place. He was saying he I, I, he wants honestly, the working DJ to get more recognition and more structure and more business to me, structure. To me, when he talks about that stuff, it just sounds like he's brand building. It doesn't sound like it doesn't sound like a person that really knows what they're talking about or this that's like really understands what people go through or understands this business. He sounds like a guy who's building his brand around caring about real DJing. But his idea of real DJing is like not even what mine is. So I, I've been talking to like a, a few DJs and, and remember when the EDM era started like kind of crashing down? Yeah. It started going towards hip hop and open format, right? Yeah. Excuse me. <laughs> um, what? Remember, I remember at a certain point, A-Track started this campaign this hashtag real dj campaign right yeah and i think he tagged a bunch of us i mean he even tagged me and maybe like ross one and, and a bunch of like yeah like steve wonder jusky yeah. spider yeah, yeah. a bunch of people and i don't he, know exactly but the, the usual suspects and some of the djs i spoke to i mean i was definitely flattered but i was confused because i, I just didn't know him very well and i don't know i don't even know if he, he's ever heard me spin you know what i mean but a lot of other djs were like Oh, he's trying to get our cosign to come back into open format after he abandoned us to EDM. Now that EDM's well, on this end, he didn't mm. abandon us because he was never with us. So, well, you don't think he was maybe <laughs> possibly next in line after AM to possibly no, come in? dude, not at all. I mean, maybe he could have with the Kanye cosign and stuff like that, but he's never really been about playing. He's not a player. Mm -hmm. hmm. He's the soloist. He's not a player. Like we're session guys. He's not a session guy. So you think what with this whole thing is, it's just a rebranding for him. It's his way of just rebranding himself I, and I mean, becoming the people's I, like the, the the people's DJ kind like, of, you know, Trump. I mean, the trend. kind of. <laughs> yeah, I, I think he's like, I mean, I, I, think, I don't think anyone like I said in the beginning of this, I think both you guys were people can agree with both of you. I don't think you're necessarily mm. at odds with each other in a sense. I mean, no. I think I think that <laughs> well, you might, you're making it spicy, maybe on purpose. <laughs> but I think that in reality, you're just saying and a lot of what you're saying rings true. The fact that it was never really about I mean. It's more about before DJs became superstars, you would go to a club because you knew that a DJ would be there and you kind of expected a certain sound and you expected a certain level of skill and a certain repertoire that was going to be played at that club before, before the superstar DJ era. So yeah. in a sense, the clubs and the DJs were kind of more kind of bonded together at that time. And now once the superstar DJ emerged, what happened was we got this higher class of higher paid DJ entertainers and then... The working man, you know, for all these years has been kind of, you know, in the shadows. And, and I think that part of what you're saying, and both of you kind of make that point, is rings very true. And I think everyone knows that all these working DJs who work their ass off every night for a few hundred bucks are the ones that are really the talented ones at holding a room and reading a room and keeping up on new music and making their own edits and finding the right remixes and doing all that stuff that a superstar guy or even just a next level up guy doesn't have to worry about it. he just comes in and plays his sound his set does his yeah. own thing um but i thought that you know but but with regard to a track it was you know it just seemed you're kind of jumping down his throat a little bit because he you know he has a, he could comment on the plight of djs without being one of them i mean we all comment on i guess social and political issues all the time without being that person i mean we we, we frequently mm. 
speak about the people that aren't ourselves but about it, it, things, you know? I mean, Shecky, it's kind of almost like the privilege. I'm not saying this is A-Track, but I'm saying the disconnect is almost, I think what Rakhticon is maybe saying is the disconnect is almost like a privileged white guy saying like, oh, snap, like racism still exists. Like that's <laughs> yeah, that's like, an- annoying to be sure when that yeah, happens. Yeah, and, then, and mean, then and then black people are supposed to be like, oh my god, you're one like you're a cool white guy you, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like we're, we're co-sign you. We're invited, us. You're invited to the barbecue. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then the black people just kind of like, duh, like where yeah, the fuck have yeah. you been? Like, well, that's annoying. And then what sure. are you gonna do about it? And then the white guys like, well, I don't know what to do about it, but definitely like this conversation helps. Yeah, but if I said the problem with I, with me? issues is you know education is an issue or, or poverty and things like that, it doesn't mean I'm wrong to speak about that right you know but do you, me me you got, let go me, ahead Rob. me 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 personally like i just think the real like real djing or like good djing narrative is a false narrative sure there's people that are good there's people that are bad we all have our different opinions we all like so and so or x scratches too much or y doesn't do enough it is too much tone play blah 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 blah, blah. we go on and on we could go in circles and circles and circles and circles with that thing and i just don't think it's a productive narrative i'm it doesn't matter like oh you can kind of like cut it up or like you can't cut it up or this or that like at the end of the day like the shit doesn't matter i've seen people be nice on ipods i've seen people with crazy skills be fucking terrible yeah, Do you know what i mean technical I skills rock I you agree. have rock you have not seen people be good on ipods <laughs> yes, I have. I have. I have. you fucking lying motherfucker no i'm not lying like come come at yo we used to hang out at lit the bars in the east village like people playing rock and roll like people in a, a bar in the East Village in 2007 on an iPod knew their crowd and knew the rock and roll to play there better than a, some DJ with skills and wouldn't know the situation. Mm. That's all I'm saying. Okay, okay. I have seen I've seen people nice on iPods and I've seen people terrible with the DMC level skills. And I I'm not like this whole real DJing narrative is some narrative that holds up like what this guy these guys kind of do. It's like yo, this is what we do. This is real DJing. But to me, I'm not interested in that. Let's talk about like real solutions for working people. And uh, another thing I'll say is like I love my working DJs and I think they're wonderful. But you have to do the extra shit in this business to make it. Yeah. And if you don't want to do the extra shit, that's fine. But you are going to stay like a regular working person, and I think that's great, and that's okay. But I don't. I think it's. I think it's kind of fucked up to be like, oh, let's shine a light on the regular working guys and just like bring them up. That's not really how it works. Like how it works is let's teach the regular working guys how to brand themselves and how to talk to club owners, how to talk to people, you know, how to deal with customers, how to talk to the cocktail waitresses. The whole, there's so many things that we could learn instead of like, oh man, these clubs don't care about real DJing. Oh man, we got to educate people about like what real DJing is. Like, no, let's educate people on how to build a fucking brand. Because these people, like someone like A-Track who's talking about this stuff, what he's done is built a brand. He hasn't, like you, he could say it's like because he's real DJing or this and that or whatever, but we can go back and forth all day about like whether he can play or not. But he's built a great brand. So let's talk about that instead of what's real DJing and what's not. It's like, I don't even care. Like half the people that everybody thinks are great, I'm not like, whatever. Well, you're making a good point because I was saying earlier that there is a huge space available for if you're an open format, quote unquote, real DJ with skills who can also figure out a way to hustle yourself into being known. There's a huge space available for people. Clubs are willing to spend more 
if you can, as you kind of point out, even even have the image of selling tickets, even if you sell tickets or if it seems like you're selling tickets, there is a space available for a higher level of an open format hip hop type DJ to come in. And uh, you know, I recently, even though I know he's been around for a long time, Scratch Bastard recently came across my you know radar, and he's amazing. I mean, he's like super skilled. He hasn't played out here in Vegas hardly ever at all, I don't think. But I mean, he should, but He yeah. should, but he's a guy that I feel Well, is, why should he? Why should he? Tell me why should he? I mean, I think Why should he play in Vegas? Why should he play in Vegas? <laughs> <laughs> no, for real. Like well, this is I don't think he's a club DJ. He's not a club DJ, right? He's what? He's not a well, never said he's not a club DJ, but I just think there is room for new blood and what A-Track said in a in a in a couple of his tweets where there is these groups or these cliques that are stopping new blood from coming in because there's and you know the agents and and the, and well, the booking guys the agents and the booking guys are the crux of the where the fork in the road happens because if you have an agent who's like I said earlier who has a roster of superstars your rates sort of start to gravitate in that direction and if you don't yeah. have that they don't so and those few agents and managers in the open format game we all know it's it's more of a grind. It's not like it's a different kind of an agent or manager in the open format game. So to your point, I think it is still up to the individual, but that's always been the case for music. You know, any kind of artist always has to originate the hype from yourself. But you just have to do it that way. But even going yeah. back to why Scratch Bastard, I mean, why Scratch Bastard? Why Chantel Jeffries? Why any influencer DJ that just has like you know a 400,000 followers why are we well, giving, why, why why are we giving them a chance do you know what i'm because saying because they have 400,000 followers exactly that's what people but, are looking for but what i'm trying to say is scratch bassett has a, a good amount of followers and he's a good dj well he's a very good how DJ. do you know technically you play? well let's get him in we don't know yeah. if chantel jeffries is a good dj let's just get him so, in so okay like, i'm not he deserves look, i'm not trying he deserves the opportunity just as much as any influencer dj is what i'm trying to say he's a real I'm dj i'm not trying to I'm not trying to see. This is the thing. He's a real DJ. I don't know that. I don't know this guy. Like, <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Like, at the end of the day, it all goes back to like some idea of what a real DJ is. And like, I think that we're better off throwing some of that out hmm. and looking at looking at the. Let's look at the the battlefield the way it is, not the way we wish it was. Because the battlefield is what it is. So. Yeah. You know, like I said on Twitter, wish in one hand, shit in the other. You, we, we can wish all day that like this style of oh, DJing. That's, what, that's that we, what you were trying to say. I read it wrong. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, see which one fills up first. Like the shit isn't going to change. Nobody's going to really care that much about real DJing. You're not going to be able to convince these nightclub people. There's a few club managers and a few club owners that really get it that understand that when the crowd is there and you have a talented DJ that can hold them all night they're going to make more money. Right. But at the same time, that same club owner is trying to fill up his club. So if you yep. can't contribute to filling up his club, you're not, you have you know, so much less value to him. And the people that have value are the people that can put bodies through the door always. It is, all, it is more important to put heads through the door than it is to be like the soulful great DJ. If you can do both, forget about it. You're going to win, 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 win. So, so Rock, uh, I agree with that. I, I think he's making a very accurate point. I mean, it's because it's like selling you, tickets sorry, is, is, is no, no, no. I mean, I'm agreeing with you. I, I think that's in the end, that's been the difference where everyone want when everyone wanted to be an EDM guy when EDM was hot. 
And everyone, they thought, oh, I just have to make a couple of EDM beats and now I'll, be, I'll get $100,000 also. But no, it's all about who actually sells tickets, who actually moves the needle. And as I know from being on the business end of it, very few people do. And you'd be surprised. Very, some, very few people Very do. few very true. DJs actually move the needle with tickets. And in the open format world, almost none. Literally none. almost none. Almost none. There's almost zero open format DJs who actually can get sell tickets. The difference, as Rockdown points out, is do you hold the room? Does it, is it a better night? Are you selling more bottles? Is there more energy in the room for a longer period of time because this DJ is so great? And that is a more subtle sort of recognition of ability that it takes a more mature club owner and a more mature sort of person to understand that it's not that. But in the end, what you're saying fundamentally is true, is that if you're not selling tickets, you're not going to get the big money and almost none of And I've tried, I've worked with almost every open format DJ and it just so happens that even the names that you think are at the top, they don't really sell tickets. You know, it's just the yeah. way it is. Yeah. And to, to speak on that. So if, if none of the open format guys are like really selling tickets, like then, then what is it that's going to make a club owner be like, well, I want to bring X, Y, and Z. I want to bring crooked and I want to bring Ross or whoever instead of, this guy or that guy or this person. Well, let's and oh, hold on, hold on, and yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll be real quick. And one of the stories, one of those stories that that will, will make them choose Crooked over someone else is that Crooked's a, known as a good DJ who can hold the room. That's the story. But other people have a different story. They're like associated with so and so and blah blah blah. And these club people, I remember back in way back in the scam days, I was I was on this gig. I can't remember where. And I was like, I kind of asked the club owner, I was like, why do you bring us? Like, we don't fucking matter. Like, <laughs> I, I, you, you could pay the local $500 to do this job. He might even do a better job because I don't even know what songs are hot in this part of the country. And I don't know who's here. I don't know what so-and-so is and this and that. Like, why the fuck am I even here? I was a little disillusioned at the time. Yeah. And, um, and I was like, <laughs> I was like, what, like, I was literally kind of like, why am I here? And he's like, look, I like what you guys do. I think you guys are talented and I have to do something. I have to put something on the flyer. That's right. And so I would rather put you as you or a phone party. And I'll rather pay you than pay the guy that owns the phone machine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that's a very that's a very realistic take also because there is I've been in those rooms when they have a, literally an empty calendar on the wall and they're like, okay, we have to fill this calendar with people. Like we need something to promote because there's the whole structure of all the hosts and all that blah, 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 all the marketing, blah, 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 that goes, that, that has to push something. And without a name, yeah. they have nothing. So the, the club owner is always like, okay, let me weigh the options. Okay, I'll go with the scam guy because at least I know if I go with the scam guy, then there's going to be some level of marketing behind it, some something, you know, and... and that's the, that's the exact. That's a very realistic take as well. But Rock, I I, I want to talk about this too. In the beginning of the in the in the New York club scene era, in the in the way beginning, right? Yeah. There were promoters. There was the club, right? And then there yeah. was the DJ. Yeah. And then you know, never you can chime in on this too. Mm -hmm. He's before me. You guys. Yeah. yeah. I, I didn't get there until two thousand two. So. No, yeah, that, it was like the promoter's job to bring to fill the club up. Right. So what happened to me, what I think is that promoters were promoters. They're the motherfuckers who brought the people to the club. Yep. And yeah. then they had their crew of DJs, crew of DJs yeah. that they trusted. And they're like, these guys, all these guys got to do is be good. Yep. And we're going to bring the people. Mm -hmm. So yeah. at some point around 2005 or 2007, that changed, right? Would you agree? I Where, mean, yes and no, but ha like even back in the day... 
but obviously there was a higher bar but some of those promoters some of the djs will they'll have x dj because they're friends with these girls or those girls they might not be as good as y dj right it was all it was still politics about of the you know the pool the talent pool was smaller and the level of talent was a little higher but there was still politics i feel like, like it started, you see some it started to get like a, that it started to get like that. talking to mike all right it started to get like that back around 2000 that the, they wanted the DJs I was going to bring like their friends all the girls and all bring as many people as possible uh, but before that we was that a Slurpee what was that <laughs> yeah it's a little iced coffee okay so before that I remember we used to go see like Stretch Armstrong wherever mm-hmm. he was yeah exactly I don't care yeah. who the promoter was I would go see Stretch Armstrong wherever he was DJing but we knew Stretch because he was on the radio right well okay he had his draw he was a guy that could move the needle mm-hmm. you know yeah. um, he was dope yeah. as well yeah. in the ni- late 90s in New York mm-hmm. you know yeah. um but yeah, it's it's the, the, that was about his skill though, because he wasn't like a superstar or anything. He was well, he was but, I guess he's a little yeah, bit of a star. Kind of in New York, he was kind of a superstar. Yes, yes. Well, I'm 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 actually talking about the era of like the unique and kicky black diamond parties. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Bill Specter, even yeah, Bill Specter. Yeah. I mean, sheets and pillows. Are, these are the yeah. I mean, these are the guys that literally they knew they just had a handpicking of DJs. And honestly, yeah. when they found the DJ that they were like, holy shit, I just found a diamond in the rough mm-hmm. and I'm going to have him only do my parties. Yeah. Th- that was that was the era that I kind of came into and we kind of yes. wanted... And same, we, same, all we had same. to All we had to do was focus on the room and and then really just kill it and hold the room down. Right. Yeah. And the promoters would do it. I think clubs started getting bigger and bigger and they started getting, I don't know if it's lazier or they got more clueless on how to bring people in. Yeah, that's so right. then, So they started depending on bigger name DJs, followers on Instagram, social media. And there's a level of laziness or I don't know, like a, a lack of uh, relationships and public relations and promotions between their team and marketing and how to do it. Mm-hmm. But it, I think that's what it came down to a little bit, too. I think that has a factor in it as well. Yeah, well, the, the, yeah. Clubs, the clubs out here got spoiled in a way by the big name EDM era. And now, as you pointed out, with all these big rooms to fill, they're kind of like, it's a new, it's a new game now. It's like, how are you going to fill this room? And how much can you spend versus how many people you get? And all those, the numbers are kind of new again because EDM isn't what it used to be, you know, thank God. You know what I mean? So, so now we have more of a realistic view of what a DJ's value is. And as I said before, it's not a lot usually, you know, so the clubs have to make a new calculation as to how they're going to cover their costs and fill the room. Right. Um, and there is a space, as I keep saying, for those guys. And I know there's a lot of guys out there who are trying to do it. DJ Ruckus, example, like people like that who are trying to be more than just, I'm an open format guy. I'm, I'm, I'm a bigger, you know, I, I don't want to single anyone out. We all know a lot of guys, but, you know, there's people who are trying to, make a name for themselves beyond just being an open format DJ. And that honestly is what you have to do to get the bigger money. Yeah. I mean, I, my whole thing with his thread that I didn't understand his, I just didn't really understand his thread. And I, I just am not, I'm just really not one for this real DJing. I, I love my working class DJs. I love good DJs. Like don't get it twisted. I love good DJs, but like, just, hey, yeah, <laughs> no, well, you know, AO is problematic, but that's another discussion. <laughs> right, but but I, I just I just this whole thing just fe- it just doesn't feel productive, and it just feels like we're trying to fight. It's trying to fight some battle on some battlefield that doesn't exist anymore. In my experience, like 
the people who really understand the game are so few and far between. The people who really know the difference between like a good DJ and a guy who sort of has some technical ability and can kind of knows a few of the records to play. There's not that many people who really see the difference, in, uh, my, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. so and, I th and I also think that I also think that the narrative about what a good DJ that A-Track is putting forward is not my narrative about what a good DJ is. And it's not, I don't think it's a narrative that's helpful. I think it's a narrative that's harmful. Because, like, I just don't know. I just don't get it. Like, in, I just don't get it. It's just not my shit. I don't understand it. He's never been an open format DJ, in my opinion. Like, he's never been, like, a working open format DJ. Sure, he played, like, a bunch of different stuff in his set. But like that dude never worked, and we all know that. Uh, I, gotta, I, mean, I don't think he ever. He, he didn't claim that. He just said he's he's observing because he's benefited from having agents and managers and all that stuff. And let's face yeah. it, honestly, he's not a huge superstar per se compared to other guys. You know, he's like kind of somewhere in the middle. You know, like, and he's okay with that. And there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. But my point is. He has benefited, to your point, from all those agents, but he never said anything about that he was the open format guy. He was just saying, man, I just came back from meeting all these open format DJs, and it kind of sucks that the business is not as developed in that little niche. Of okay, DJs. no, no, but, but see, that's not what he said. What he said was like, I just came back from a meeting with all these open format DJs. I like, can't believe it, blah, blah, blah. But if you just came back from meeting with us and you can't believe it, then why are you breaking down the history of traveling DJs like some authority that knows exactly? Like the, the thread was so arrogant. It was like, this happened. And then EDM was like, what are you even talking about? Well, your, your thread was arrogant also. Yeah, but <laughs> you called that's yourself my brand. A legend. You called <laughs> that's my brand, yo. To be a cocky asshole. Well, to I mean, be a contrarian. Yeah. himself an OG. He's a contrarian is what you are. You're, you're, I'm you're, not. I mean, I guess you could call me that, but... Okay. A cynic, a cynic. How about that? I'm not even a cynic. I'm a real. I try to be a realist. I, I, I love DJing. I love playing music for people. I love seeing people that are really, you know, connect with the crowd and, I, and let, make make let, magic happen. Let's talk about another person you love, which is Craze, DJ Craze, right? Oh, uh, who? Craze. <laughs> I don't know her. Yeah. <laughs> you know this motherfucker, the man. Spice. I don't know her. Spicy. Yo, he's your old, he's your OG though. He's, he's your OG. Kind of, he's kind of your OG, right? <laughs> No, I mean, look, honestly, I love Craze for his energy. It's so good. His, like, 90s battle hip-hop energy is so tight. Yeah. I feel it. It's so, <laughs> I don't know if so I good. believe this. Or, I don't know. Like, I love it. I love it. It's great. I love that. Are I love you being it. serious? Oh, Are you no, being serious? No, I, I'm being dead serious. Okay. I love it. It's so, it's very entertaining. The way he sort of, like, jumps into it is really funny. And... I, I don't like take it too seriously because I understand where he comes from. I understand that battle world and I understand his battle mindset. It's just like, nah, you're not talking about my mans. You know, and he's just gonna like go off and use whatever sort of snaps he can on me. It's very much like a like a free like a MC battle kind of thing. You just say yeah. whatever you can. Yeah. And I get that. But you agree that it, it wasn't productive. It wasn't. You know what I mean? It wasn't. I mean. How I'm yeah I'm whatever I, I it's it's fine I don't care I have no hard feelings against that guy I do consider him a, a real legend in his field like you know he wouldn't know playing you know playing a crowd from a hole in the playing for a crowd from a fucking hole in the ground but in his thing like he's great and he's really great at it and I have no I have nothing sort of like bad to say about it 
So when you were talking about like, yo, I'm the I'm the OG, I'm the legend, I'm the trailblazer, I'm the let you know, I'm the I'm the guy. Well, the, who I mean, represents, if you wanted to, oh, go ahead, explain it. He was saying he said I mean, that. Yeah, he yeah, said at that. Some yeah, point, at some point, at some point. So there was. I mean, it's I mean, crazy, crazy snapping on me. What else am I going to say? So we, we you, didn't, it's, it's a. We, I'm sorry, Rock. I, I don't want to interrupt you. We but I read that give, part. We I read some of the other. I want to give a couple backstory, which is basically you and Cray started going at it. Cray started going at you about basically. He defended a track. He's mm-hmm. defending a track. Right. You're not successful. Like you know, yeah, what I mean, you have no whatever. right to say anything, and kind of That's just. Cool. And then he was just kind of, which I thought was a little arrogant. Was like, y'all should be grateful that you know he's even uh, <laughs> like addressing this issue and speaking to you guys, kind of. In, uh, in, the, uh, in benevolent. Our yeah. benevolent leader. Thank yeah. you. And then great leader. <laughs> and then and you kinda came back like I'm the trailblazer. I'm the OG. Like I mean in open format I am. I mean yeah. Craze and A Track like have like no resume in open format compared to what I have. So it's like not even it's like not even a question. But the, it, like people reading that and I told you this, I think that level of arrogance of you saying that I'm the trailblazer, I'm the legend it's distracting from your actual message because people just think you're just like crazy. fucking yeah crazy and talking yeah, shit. Yeah, so like they've always. But I mean, I am a little. I get loose and like get a little <laughs> shit. It's all good. There's always a loose like, cannon-ish element, you know. That's a yeah. that's, that's part of the brand the, of the Rocktacom yeah. brand, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it's been a long time since I like snap like this. And honestly, <laughs> if you go back, I went back through the threads because I, I try to take care and I try to like not be an asshole and you know, be positive these days. And if you go back through those threads, they're not particularly negative. The only kind of thing I snapped on was like, I just didn't feel a tracks like thread. I didn't understand it. I didn't know what he was talking about. I'm not here to pump up real DJing or like shine a light on the great working class DJs. Let's, you know, let's find people a way to build their brands and to get in this business and make some money. I, I just, I think it's like, you like, he, I feel like he's just like looking for, co-sign and sort of fandom from the working dj and that's fine he can get it if he can get it he can get it if they like what he does they like what he does he's had some you know nice house records and stuff like that and he's done some interesting things and i'm not trying to take that away from him i just it just rubbed me a little bit the wrong way and if you want to talk about we can talk about my history working in nightclubs as a working dj neither of those dudes can hold a candle to that I mean, uh, as a as a working team, but there, but you're and with with respect, you're there's others who have done it longer than you, and you know, et cetera. I mean, you know, I'm of I'm, course none of them of jumped course. into this debate, of course, but you know, yeah, you, well, you're the one that volunteered. But you know, but my point is, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that I think a lot of what you said, as I keep saying, it, it rings both sides ring true. If someone is the guy out there making a few hundred bucks a night, they're going to read a tracks piece and say, this guy seems to care about what my plight is somehow. I don't know how it's going to necessarily help, they, but they have to figure out how to help themselves. And your plight, your, your side of it is, look, I'm the guy that actually has been in the grind doing this for a long time, and this is my take on it. And I think both, both address what a working-class DJ might feel in different ways. Um, but that being said, you know, there's, the reality is that the money is only going to be there, and, and I think that's the fundamental truth of Roctagon's side of the story, is that if you sell tickets... You make mm-hmm. money, and that's it. And anything else is really just more, you know, chatter in the end. Yeah, and, and why, is, why is a person who's considered someone 
that sells tickets or has the illusion of selling tickets and has a big brand um, telling telling the person who doesn't sell tickets, oh, if you just are good at DJing, we're going to shine a light on you. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to me. The way I framed it to someone else was I said, well, it's like Julian Schnabel telling a sitcom director how to like what cut type of like how to run his career you're gonna have to explain who that is (laughs) okay so julian schnabel is a famous painter right and in the in the late 80s early 90s julian schnabel makes a move to film directing julian schnabel is a rich and famous painter who starts directing movies he directs a couple of really good movies bass the basquiat movies okay yeah, that was really and good and then the, the, the diving bell and the butterfly is is, a, is to me is a masterpiece it's a beautiful movie and he's he's an excellent director but what the fuck does julian schnabel have to say to a guy coming up through the sitcom ranks directing sitcoms and trying to get out of directing sitcoms into directing our drama into directing maybe a feature like Julian Schnabel just had a shed load of money and was like, I'm going to make this movie about Basquiat and went and did it because he's an artist. And that's great. Good for him. I'm sure you can learn a lot from Julian Schnabel about cinematography, about storytelling, about all types of different things. But the, the, the story is he has, didn't come up in the ranks of working his way up in the system. Mm-hmm. So the same thing applies to A-Track is he has an interesting history in the business. He's done a lot of cool things like DJ for Kanye, produced that record with Armand. He has some good remixes. And he continues to put out music. There's a lot of stuff that he does for his brand, right? But none of none of his story arc has anything to do with being a working DJ in a working nightclub. And I think that, that he pontificates and he talks about that kind of DJing like an insider when he is not. Many, many people are going to disagree with me and many people are going to say he's a legend. He can talk about whatever he wants, blah, 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 blah. That's fine. I'm just giving you my... Rocticon, I've been on the couch for a couple days on antibiotics. I'm a little crabby. Take on this thing. (laughs) Hey, so, you know, it all kind of circles around this retreat, this Beyond the Music retreat that was in Colorado. Would you be open to even, like, meeting some of these up-and-coming DJs, these young DJs, and speaking with them about shit like this? As I will go anywhere and do whatever as long as you cover my flight zones. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man, that sounds good. I actually and, and like you. And it, obviously, it's not going to be on the weekend because I have to work. Because I go to work. I DJ at a restaurant here in Hollywood on the weekends where I earn a living playing a four-hour set every Friday and Saturday <laughs> yeah, night. Same. So I'm not. I just throwing that out there. So you know, if you know, if A Track wants to come down and do my four hours at Delilah. I'd be more than happy to let him. I would like to see that. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean. So there, there, there's an open invitation. You come at 10, set up, kind of start playing by 10, 15. And you usually play till around 2, quarter to 2. They turn the if, lights everybody on. Everybody promoting spots today. What's up with that? <laughs> What's like you on so the if, he wants to, if he wants to come down and <laughs> DJ and, uh, and play 10 to, 10 to 2, we can we can check it out. I, I'd love to hear it. I would like to see what that sounds that, like. That is actually. I, I can't. One of I can't pay him. One of the most annoying things about the the superstar DJ era is the shortness of their sets and the way that that became kind of the norm. I think that's a funny point because some guys only play ninety minutes. Some guys play most of them play two hours max. 
Sometimes it's actually good that they get off because, like I said earlier, sometimes the guy who's the real resident is going to keep the room longer than the than the headliner. You know, so when yeah, they of course. when they have exactly. the two hours set, it actually is a relief sometimes to the actual people in charge because they're like, okay, good, we can go back to playing Drake now. You know, the, whatever it takes to keep people here. You know, um, but it's also annoying because the the fundamental thing is you're getting paid more to do less, and it's frustrating definitely to see that happen sometimes. You know. Yeah. Um, shit, man. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you, you know, it, it would. I don't know. I'm. I've really. I've said everything I want to say, man. I can I really care about working DJs. Uh, I, I really mean, love. You are a working DJ. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love this business. I've had great opportunities that I've squandered. That's a whole. You know, that's like four other podcasts. Right. Um. I've been a part of like interesting things, and like Shecky said, there's plenty of people that have been doing this longer and come from it before me. But there is really there aren't that many people that were DJing on vinyl and then made the transition to Serato and were part of the first wave of the DJs that did this. Okay. Mm -hmm. There's, there's a handful of people and I'm one of them. Yep. I agree. And I have that story to tell and I have that experience. I've been through this thing and I've been to the like, okay, here comes the money. And I, and I've also walked away and gone and done other things, but, you gone know, and played. We all kind of saw you and I, you know, and I will say this at the time, this probably like around the 2005, 2006 era, you were the one next up and AM knew that you were the one next up kind of, you know what I'm saying? Like we knew you were the guy. I mean, you and I talked about this before where I told you like, yo, you're next up. You were the dude who was going to like it take seemed, over it the scene. Seem, there was that energy at that time. And we remember, we, I think you brought up before, you came out here to do something called Rockbox. Here <laughs> yeah, in well, Vegas. I was doing that in Vegas. Yeah, that was fun. That was like, I think around 05. Around 06, yeah. 05, 06, yeah. And uh, that was where it did seem that you were, you know, one of the top, you know, guys in line under, you know, to do what AM's doing, basically, to do the same the same type of thing. AM, Mark Ronson. All Ronson, right. AM. Like, yeah, you were just yeah like, but... You're like the you know, next white boy superstar. Next, yeah, but looking, good looking white boy DJ. Playing hip hop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I I didn't I didn't have a hook, you know what I mean? Like I didn't have the AM hook, I don't have the Ronson hook. So I think it would have been harder than people think. But I also I just I mean, we're just talking about me and I'll get out of here because we don't we don't need another there's a three hour podcast about me. You can listen to that. <laughs> yeah. Um but Great I was plug. just gonna say, like, I, I really enjoyed playing on a laptop and I loved like figuring out the puzzle of putting music together but when the when you push comes to shove and you got to get on that plane like i didn't i didn't love doing it like i don't love playing the music that needs to get played in those type of situations and it's not the music that i love and i don't when the when the newness of the technology and the ability to put it all together in this weird way wore off and i there was not enough to nurture my soul to sort of sound like ame um, I was. I didn't feel nurtured. I don't feel nurtured by Amigos or whatever. L- Kevin Little, Let It Rock, <laughs> doesn't nurture my soul, and I don't feel connected to it in a way that's deep enough to warrant doing the bullshit I would have had to do to keep on that career track. I don't care about money that much. Yeah, and I think. Anyways, I think that's the thing that people don't understand is that. <laughs> <laughs> Is that, what? is that the money wasn't we can hear all of your internal organs <laughs> that oh, yeah. that through it all like the money wasn't when you when you started making money or when there was a potential for money you just thought like this is not what i want kind of a little bit right yeah just it just it, you know what it was it had a lot to do with 
I know I'm good at this. I, I like doing it. It is cool. But when I go to these, like what I'm faced with now, I was like, what a, this is what I, where I was faced with. Oh, this is, I just made it about me as usual. Um, <laughs> the, I know I'm good at this, right? And a lot of the people that I've always wanted to, to give me, say, wow, you're good at this, have said, wow, you're good at this. It's awesome. And that was cool. But then so what, is, what, is the, what does the next part look like? It's convincing the sort of regular person that I'm good at this thing, which just involved like doing a lot of shit that had nothing to do with being good at DJing. Right. Convincing, right. convincing the regular ass club goer that you're a good DJ has fucking fuck all to do with being a good DJ. Hmm. It's a, well, maybe maybe it has fuck all to do with being a money making DJ, but being a good DJ, I still think there's a litmus test. Yeah. Any, any of us can see a tech. There's a technical skill and reading the crowd and blah 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 litmus test that we can all put to any DJ. You know, and then there's a le- another level of measurement, which is how many tickets do you sell and how much money do you make. Mm-hmm. It's like there's two separate things that sometimes mix together and sometimes they don't. You know, like. But I think there's still something about, listen, in the end, you still have to have the skill. Otherwise, you ain't going to last. I mean, you know, there's got to be some genuine skill unless you're... And I mean, I brought them up last time, the chain smokers, okay? They're easy to make fun of. But when I saw them DJ, I was not disappointed. I thought they did a decent job, man. They were not terrible. You got... You got those hits. You got those hits. Yeah. And you do a decent job. You're chilling. Yeah. They didn't. They didn't disappoint me when I saw them DJ. I mean, again, it's easy to make fun of them because they're obviously they don't need us or they're kind of like beyond now. But Mm -hmm. you know, they started as open format DJs, right? Mm -hmm. And they're kind of. But they were like house DJs in New York, right? Is that what they were? Yeah, but it was it it was the open formatish house houses realm. They had to play some regular records for sure. When Pittsburgh, what's that guy's name? Pittsburgh Slim was like Pittsburgh Slim. Uh Yeah, yeah. Yeah, We were supposed to do a mixtape. Susan shut it down. Another another (laughs) shit. (laughs) There's another point I want to make. It's kind of related to what we've been talking about. Is that the last time I saw Aoki DJ and the last time I saw Skrillex DJ, and of course we all see Diplo DJ very often. They're playing more of an open format set now. That's mm-hmm. the crazy thing is that actually the guys that are supposed to be the quote unquote EDM guys are now playing basically like forty or fifty percent hip hop in their sets yeah. because yeah. they have to because that's what they're trying to survive. They want to be current. They want to stay hot. They want to be you know. And that's there's nothing wrong. I'm glad that they're doing that. But my point is that it's almost when I saw that happen, I thought it was really interesting that that style is now basically elevated. You know, kind of by osmosis has reached the upper echelon where like. They can't just play one one twenty eight BPM all night. They have to play every tempo, every beat. Diplo's obviously been doing that for a long time. Yeah, Dip, Diplo's so, brand comes from yeah. open format, exactly. you know? right? Right. But some of these other guys who you think might be an EDM guy are actually playing a lot of hip hop and reggae and other. I've seen videos of Tiesta playing hip hop, playing Cardi. Really? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> at, at, in Vegas at Hawkinson. Yeah, I believe it. Mm-hmm. Not a remix. Even, no, not a remix. Oh. Original. Mm. I, I will say I think there's this I think DJs always have been mad and because you reach a certain skill level and you know you kind of nice with it and you can put two and two together and you can cut a little bit do a little something something and play some shit and then you see these fucking people that just you know they're not where you are and it's just frustrating and you know they're not like as technically sort of good as you or you could be better in the situation and I think I just think anything that feeds into that sort of resentment and that like real DJing and that like this is how it should be and like why isn't it like this, 
it, it takes away from looking at the truth of the matter and the, the actual lay of the land and finding real working solutions mm-hmm. for the problems that these guys face. And also, it's, it, to, I don't want to delude people. Like, it's awesome to be a working DJ. And being a great working DJ does not mean you should be getting on a plane every weekend and flying all over the country just because you're a good-ass working DJ. Yeah. It doesn't mean it. And I think, I think to, to say hint to people that it does or that there was a time when it really did mean it, like, I just don't think that's fair. I think it's some bullshit. And right. I think we're getting people's hopes up and we're getting people gassed up. There's so many fucking DJs out there. There's so much competition. Shit is crazy. And, <laughs> and to, eat, to feed into this idea of like, like, yeah, yeah, if you just like do it the right way, like the way we do it, like we're going to make them see this is the light. Like there's, nobody's going to see the light. They want to see the fucking money or they want to see your brand <laughs> that they can put on the flyer. So that's where I want to see the focus like, if you look at what I'm doing right now, I'm doing how I do house shit. I'm doing house edits. I deleted everything from my Instagram. It's strictly sort of the music that I care about oriented, the DJing that I care about oriented. I'm staying in my one little lane, which is crazy. I shouldn't even be talking about this stuff because it just drags me back into the shit. Right. But I do still work and I do still think about these things. But it's just it's brand building. It's you know, networking and brand building, being the person that is, hello, nice to meet you, remember people's names, blah, 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 blah. I'm terrible at all, at all that stuff, but I know what it is and I know what's important to do. Like when you talk about, when you talk about, let's talk about DJs. Do you want to talk about DJs? Let's talk about like someone like Virgil. Like Virgil, you know, it's Virgil weird. Virgil right? Yeah, Off he's white. like the other, he's like the other side of the A-Track coin. It's like A-Track's got the skills and the Kanye co-sign. Virgil has no skills in the Kanye cosign. Yeah, you know it's like a weird sort of crit, like uh, bizarro a track, but <laughs> any 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 person any person in fashion in marketing in the business the businesses that Virgil runs in, you say the name Virgil and they say he's really really nice and he's great. Now, no one has a bad word to say about Virgil. And so someone like that, there's, there's something to learn from everyone. So, that, so like we can sit here all day and be like, Virgil can't mix or it's sort of blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, that dude goes out, he remembers everyone's name. He knows like who everyone is. He knows what people do. He says nice things. He's complimentary. He's a, like a genuine guy. In the way that when Vice was coming up, everyone, Vice knew everyone. He said hi to everyone. He was good to everyone. He was sweet to everyone. You know, he made time for you if he could. And And there's a talent in that. There's a talent. There's a gift to that. Yeah. And so, like, to be honest, like, the best advice you could give these motherfuckers, it's not, the best advice is not, like, let's take it back to the days when the DJ and matter. It's take a fucking improv class. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like, go learn how to talk to people. Like, that's the kind of advice I want to see being given, not some narrative about what type of DJing is the right kind of DJing. Because we can go all day about that, and you know that, right? Yo, Rock, <laughs> thank you for yeah. uh, you know letting you know letting us uh, holler at you and for you know telling us your side of this whole shit. And then, uh, come on, man, you know me. You know that if I, you give me a chance to talk, I won't shut up. <laughs> so. Yo, Rock. Any chance to hear myself talk, I'm, I'm in. Sign me up. Cool, man. Hey, yo, Rock, man. Thanks a lot, man. Appreciate it, bro. Okay, hey, 
Thank you guys. Hey, hey, Shecky, good to talk to you. I haven't talked to you in a while, but likewise, you're the, you're the best. Uh, likewise, you man. All right, sounds good, brother. Come on out and right, hang yes. out with us out here sometime. I haven't, I haven't been since the scam anniversary in 2014. 14. So. Holy <laughs> moly, that's a while. That's ancient history around here, man. Yeah, yeah. gotta get you out yeah, of here, may- man. Maybe I can like uh, carry uh, carry Tiesto's record back. Or <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll see you guys. All right, yeah. All right, peace. Peace. Easy. Later. Well, we got interesting perspectives. Yeah, to say the least, right? I think in the end, they're both coming from a good place, and they're both like really earnest about their message. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think one is probably more conceptual and more about the history and. And and what took place in the timeline, and the other one is just like, who cares about that? You know, let's get constructive and let's see what works and what doesn't work for each individual, mm-hmm. because you know, does yeah. that make sense? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the the reality is, unfortunately, that like as long as these local guys are not drawing people, they're still never going to get. And when I say they, all you know, most of these people are my close friends. You guys and many others who are DJs who work in these clubs. There, unfortunately, there seems to be a ceiling, to, but it's actually, it's not so bad. It's like you're still doing great and you still have a great job. It beats digging in a ditch every day, you know, right. going to play music. So it's like, mm-hmm. it's kind of like there's a there's an okay level of being an open format DJ that works a lot and makes a decent amount of money and survives and has a nice little life. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's important that we say to all the people out there that are doing that. It's not going to be. It's not easy to break into this higher level of making thousands of dollars a night because, for the reasons that we keep saying, it's like it's mm-hmm. very hard mm-hmm. to sell tickets. It's just the reality. The only way you sell tickets is because you have a hit or you're famous. You know, it's like one. And how do you get famous if you're not a musician? It, you know, either you get through music or you do something else, and you get famous on social media. Or you get famous on fashion or you get famous on you know with some television or whatever you know it's yeah it, it's the reality and we all know many guys who are not who are who are great talents that they haven't figured out how to break through but that's not to say that there's anything wrong with that because right if you're in the club as Rockticon said if you're doing a good job in the venue keeping people there and then also being a professional in terms of how you conduct yourself then you're winning also you know there's nothing wrong with that I don't think there's anything wrong with the reality of being a working DJ, as everyone keeps saying. It's just that it's kind of frustrating, and I think a lot of Rockticon's kind of contrarian views are because he's <laughs> expressing the frustration that a lot of guys feel. Yeah. And uh, one little angle on this we haven't really covered is the creative aspect of what it's like to be an open format guy who opens for a superstar guy, because that's a, that's where the talent comes in. How do you open for? Tiesto or how do you open for a superstar like what do you play do you play in the same genre of him do you play a completely different genre do you know how do you that's the skill that that's even beyond just being a good open format DJ that's knowing how to almost take it from fourth gear down to third gear or second gear and know how to set up a guy properly like that's a whole nother conversation is like the creative part of that what do you guys think about that well I, I just think like what you're talking about with the openers and closers right I mean I think that skill level takes experience yeah. and it takes really knowing literally just playing certain records and knowing like, oh, that's a little too left and this is a little too right. Oh, they're feeling the left. I'm going to go a little more left. Right. 
And yeah. it's just you either feel it or you don't feel it, and you can sense it a little bit as you start DJing more and more. Let's just yeah. say, you, let's just say, one of these legacy EDM guys like a Tiesto or or, or Calvin. Or, like to say, you guys I actually had the chance to open for Calvin uh, before he really blew up at Tau. What were you playing? Like, what, what were you so, playing? To start the set, it was more open format. As it got closer to his set, I went more EDM just to get them comfortable with uh, what he's going to be playing for the rest of the night. Yeah. So I started out very like top forty. This is when. Probably like Lady Gaga started. Yeah. Kesha was big, maybe mm-hmm. around that time. So a lot of top 40 girl yeah. friendly records. I don't think a lot of people were there for Calvin Harris. They were just there because it was Tao. And right. I think he was, this was before We Found Love, any of his really big records. Um, so I just really kept it open for him at top 40 until he went on, maybe around one. Around 12, 12 30, I started going more into the EDM, like some commercial EDM. Right. And kind of kept it that way and just kind of gave them a guideline of what they're going to hear. Yeah, that's that makes yeah. sense. I mean, I, I know other people like our friend Mighty Mai, who's uh-huh. been on the show. He always, he plays literally no trap music at all. Like nothing uh-huh. that has that kind of a drop. Mm-hmm. Twerk, trap, whatever you want to call you know, like on that kind of Moombaton, whatever. Like, I mean, he, he plays almost nothing on purpose that has that kind of a drop. He wants, the he's so good at opening, I feel, that he, he purposely... Puts all that on, like, in other words, the first time that the crowd hears one of those big drops is when R.L. Grime plays it. It's not going to be when Milo plays it, you know? And he's so almost selfless in that way. Like, he just, like, doesn't... He has a whole category of ways you can move a crowd, and he just avoids it all just so that the opener, when that first big drop comes in, the crowd can go nuts because that's the first time you feel that and you hear that kind of music energy, you know? And that, that comes with just knowing... If you're a resident at a venue, just knowing and working with these DJs, knowing what they're going to play and what their style is and just like anticipating right. it. And then also, just like you said, the main word is selfless. Yes. It, it's a team thing. And yeah. I think that's what's missing with openers and headliners. And it could be that the headliners aren't appreciating the openers. So they're becoming less selfless in like, why am I going to take care of you? And make you shine when you really don't give a fuck about me. And you know, yeah. Mighty Mike brought up a, a great thing where, like, you know, someone like a Skrillex would get on the mic at the end of his set and be like, "Yo, thank goodness for DJs like Mighty Mike. Shout to Mighty Mike in the building." And he would give him a shout. He's a very nice guy. Yeah. I mean, Skrillex is an extremely approachable, down to earth person, unlike some of the others. But mm-hmm. you know, most of the guys that are you're right. I mean, there's a few guys, and Skrillex is a guy I brought up as a guy that plays a lot of hip hop now and plays a lot of everything you know right. what i mean so there's those guys that are more aware of music and more aware of what's hot and there's those guys that are more just in their own lane in their own world but those guys i think like i said are kind of at least in vegas seem to be there's still a few but they're kind of phasing away and it's more now about pleasing the crowd it's about being a guy and hip-hop is the dominant form of music now it seems like in vegas i, I will say this about the misconception of like success and i think success is like can be an illusion right for the fact that once you've attained success i always i have talked about this before it's almost like you're a politician that works so hard to get into office and then once you're in the office it just all becomes about getting reelected and just getting reelected reelected getting reelected yeah. and then you're not really you start making, compromising your you your, compromise everything mm-hmm. that you're about you yep. compromise everything that you believed in before just to get reelected and to just stay in the game to stay in the white house or wherever congress or stay in the senate just stay there and to be a player and sometimes you know you're you're not making a difference you're not making any changes 
and it's like it's not helping the game at all and, and it's very selfish and you're using exploiting people along the way like oh this guy has talent he's gonna i'm gonna take a little bit of him and put it into myself and rebrand myself and all of this so that the su success you're seeing all of these like front men that you're seeing there's a lot of heartbreak behind them because they have fucking they have played a lot of people mm -hmm. they have fucked over a lot of people to maintain that 10 15 year 20 year of success that they say that they've you know managed to maintain on their own and it's not on their own yo and and i've i've the longer i go in my career in djing the more i notice how people change as soon as they start hitting levels of success and how they compromise important shit like even friendship or loyalty and they like they shit on actual friends just to like stay on top yep. or they steal from friends just to stay on top and you don't really hear about that shit but it i'm telling you man it happens yeah it, it's you know bahamadia said something mad important right it's not what you do it's how you do it you know what i'm saying yeah. and I, i've always been a believer in that shit it's like if you're gonna go up and be successful do it the right way and you have to really choose what your level of success is and be realistic mm-hmm and seeing you know like Calvin Harris success, Tiesto's success. I mean, I, I I really don't know if that's success to me. Like, and I look at I always look at like what who's the end all DJ that you want to be? And I don't really I don't want to be a Jazzy Jeff. I don't want to be an Afrojack. I don't want to be any of uh, Stevie Oki. I don't want to be any of those dudes. You know what I'm saying? So my potential, my level of success and my legacy is going to be totally different from yeah. something else. I rather. D I honestly rather like this is this is what it comes down to and i've spoken about this this podcast is ultimately probably my legacy because you're not gonna hear mixes from me that were like groundbreaking in the past yeah. mm -hmm. and anything that i dj'd in the main room you're not gonna really it's mm -hmm. not gonna be recorded you're not gonna know what the fuck i did in 2006 or 2007 that's, that's very true about these clubs yeah you're not gonna it all know. disappears the next morning yeah, all, yeah. all the great moments yeah. it's, it's, gone. it's gone you're not it's gone. gonna you're not yeah. gonna know that shit you're not gonna be like yo crooked was the dude that did this or he did that he was came from new york and blah blah like that's not gonna matter in the end this is what i believe in and actually like being the voice of working djs and being still a working dj for the past almost 20 years mm -hmm. and yeah. everyone at this table is a working dj whether it be two to four years you know what I'm saying? Eight to ten years, twenty, another twenty, another twenty plus <laughs> another years. Job. You know what I'm saying? So like that's what this podcast is about. You know, and this is the legacy that I'm leaving behind because in the end, y'all probably gonna be like, "Yo, that's crooked from the podcast," and y'all not gonna be like, "Yo, that's crooked," who you know did PM in New York and did Lotus in <laughs> yeah. New York. Like you're not gonna give a shit about that. Like no one's gonna give a shit about that. You I know don't know about that. I mean, what? not not all the way. I mean. Everyone is at this table is really good at what they do. I mean, we, and we by yeah. word of mouth alone that'll travel. We talked to Chris, like Christian, right? You're 20 years old. You Christian's our intern. <laughs> Just people that don't. He's know. our intern. Yeah, he's taking time stabs. Look at him. Yeah. He good, jumped up there when he said Christian. Yeah. He's like, "What? It's my turn." You want to be? Who do you want to be? An AM, right? An A track. Yeah, similar. A Maz Medina. Yeah. The greats. Yeah. You want that success to you right now? Yeah, but I think uh, especially after you talking, like uh, you mature as a person, and yeah. like in every aspect of your life, whatever like whatever you accomplish to like be happy and fulfilling in like every aspect, then I think that's success. Like it could be in terms of like oh, like 
famous like a track and shit but if like that takes away from like family or like whatever else then that's, mm-hmm. that may not be successful yeah. Yeah. that's a really good point i mean i you know i'm reminded of when am was around you know he this is going to be weird for the guy i'm about to mention but you know ellie escobar mm-hmm. yeah. you know he's a, he's a great dj but he's a low-key type dude you know he's very like low-key. a very chill yeah. down-to-earth type guy and he just reminded me, Christian just reminded me of, of what AM used to look up to him. I mean, AM was on top of the world making 25K a night. And he used to say to me, dude, I want to have a life like Ellie Escobar. And I was like, <laughs> really? He's like, dude, that guy has a wife that he loves. He goes home every night. He works. He plays the music he wants to play. He's a producer making songs that he wants to make. Mm-hmm. And he's like, that's the life I want. Doesn't compromise one thing about he his integrity, He never changes. Right? He's always very full of integrity. He always plays the real, real disco, real whatever. You know, he plays real music and he... AM used to look up. I mean, I've, to, I've told this to Ellie before, but I don't know if Ellie even realizes that he was sincere. AM was like, I want that life. Here's AM at the top of the world, mm-hmm. and he wants t- that kind of happiness, you know? So, so your point is very well taken that it's, there's levels of success, you know? I mean, but look, we all want money. We all want to have a happy, we all want to have a comfortable life and all that stuff, yeah, but yeah. that's not the only factor in, in success. Definitely. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, was, very, that was very mature, Christian. Yes, good job. Wow, man. man. Is that a wax, wax poetic shirt? What is that? No, 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 no. it's like I feel the fruition. Okay. Oh yeah, it's different. You don't know. Hey, okay. hey, hey yo, Christian, oh, we're a little hungry. Get some sandwiches, man. Get some sandwiches. Yeah, we are hungry, <laughs> Christian. <laughs> <laughs> Christian's like, all right, got it, guys. Um, all right, man. You know, I don't want to take up any of Shecky's time. We're going to continue the podcast. What are you going to do now? Talk about... We're going to talk about Michael Jackson. You want to get stay? You want to uh, stick up for a few more minutes. Yeah. Uh, that's an interesting topic. I yeah. Think. Right now. Right. Right. I'll hang around for a little while. All right. I might not make the whole thing, but yeah. how, can I, how can I resist <laughs> talking about the most... You can't. ...bizarre, crazy, just, uh, you know, unfortunate thing that's happened in a long time with music. Yeah. Did, yeah. did, have you seen the documentary? I have. I have seen it. Has everyone here seen, seen it? Yeah. Both yeah. parts? Part uh, yeah. one and part two. I didn't see the Oprah thing yet, though. Everyone I, haven't seen I didn't see the Oprah thing. I saw thing. a part to that. I didn't see the whole thing. I saw the Oprah thing. I read the Forbes article. I read the Vanity Fair article. Um, I read a couple articles. I read the New York Times article about it. Um, yeah, I think man. I think we're all in agreement of number one thing. And I think DJs have been like DMing me about this shit as well. I think whether you believe it or not, whether you're on MJ's side or whoever's the victim's side or whatever the fuck you're feeling, I think we're all in agreement that it really just depends on what crowd you're DJing for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where, you know, that's where this all comes from. It's like you have to be careful about losing your job because, like, yo, Jamie, you, you had an experience. Emails came out in Vegas. Yeah. It was fun. That and where you were DJing, you got an email warning not to play Michael Jackson yeah. and R. Kelly or only Michael Jackson. Just Michael Jackson. But the thing is, is like my third to last song. And Shecky was that because he was drinking. Yeah, well, wait, was, wait, well, before we get into that, let's talk about the emails going out from Michael Jackson bands throughout certain clubs in Vegas because yeah. your venue was not the only one that got that no. email. A few other people got it. I too. haven't received anything yet, but I'm imagining. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I do background music now for a lot of casinos and restaurants, and I got a number of emails myself to, yeah. to, to remove Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson. Yeah. Um, 
It's a it's, it's God. I mean, it's like there's no human being with more of a bigger with a bigger influence on music than Michael Jackson. Right. He is yeah. the most important musician of all time. Yeah. Period. Next to Prince, let's let's give it up to ne Prince. Well, I said, well, I, I love mean, Prince, too. Prince is up there for sure, but okay. Michael Jackson yeah. is the biggest music artist of all time. Yes. I mean, up there with Beethoven and people like that. I mean, and and the Beatles and stuff like that. I mean, it's mm -hmm. and. The idea that we might have to forget that music and all those, I mean, not only his music, but all the ones he influenced, mm -hmm. which is everybody else from Bruno Mars to Justin Timberlake to, Chris you know, Brown, Chris Brown to, yeah. hip -hop, yeah. I mean, everybody, he is the biggest, most influential artist of all time. And the idea that we might have to contemplate not playing his music or not thinking about his music or mm -hmm. not being, is the weirdest thing. Yeah. All of us as music fans have ever had to do. Is I this mean, gonna pass? I hope so, because I I was like it threw me off when I got told, "Yo, you played Michael Jackson." Then I thought about it, and they told me, "What did I play?" Well, With, you gotta explain who's we and they and what and all of this. Well, I don't want to put people's. I don't. No I'm, management. Management uh, texted my agent, shout out to Eddie, and he said, "Yo, he played uh, Jackson Five. I want you back." And I, I played it like third to last song, so I was just, how dare you? Yeah, and how dare you? No, <laughs> I played it, and I was just like, because I was playing, you know, the last three songs, and and uh, people were like, you know, they're 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 chilling or whatever, but they were like dancing and grooving to the music, so I didn't think much of it. I was probably being a little too careless about it because of the whole you know Michael Jackson situation was happening. But is it Jack? I mean, fuck. is little Michael okay? That's what I'm saying. Uh, oh, oh, yo, <laughs> like, yo, that was my little. All, all Michael should be okay. I mean, like, I, you, so you the, think you think this is bullshit? Now, here's the thing. I mean, f last night I did a corporate party, yeah, and I had Billy Jean queued up, and I was about to play it. Then I thought about it for a second. I'm just like, that shit. I don't think I could play this. Right. So I didn't play any Michael Jackson. Right. I think right now. I mean, I think uh, that's very interesting because I think right now the smart move is not to play it. Just right now. Exactly. Now, will that last forever? Probably not. Mm -hmm. There probably will be a shift in a few weeks. I hope. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what to. It, it, this is the most difficult thing that any music fan is. I mean, R. Kelly. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, we can pass you know, we weren't really playing him anyway. We know, yeah. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, there's a few other music artists that have committed crimes and done horrible things. Yeah. You know, over the years. But this is the scale of this is just insane. Yeah. I mean, he is the biggest, most important music artist of, of our lifetimes, for sure. Yeah. And we have to s maybe possibly stop playing his music or stop the equivalent thinking of, about him or, or Drake. Well, what, what's going to happen? Yeah. Someone brought that up. Like, it's almost like if someone told us we can't play Drake right now. Yeah, that's going to be tough. Right? That would be crazy. <laughs> be that would yeah. be insane. That's how I being cut. I think it's bigger. I mean, yeah, I mean, oh, for sure. You know, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. because it's like my, his music is daytime, nighttime. I mean, it's every radio, daytime, nighttime, everything. You know, it's like it's classic. It's oh, there's ballads, there's dance music, there's this, there's. I mean, it's everything. You know, yeah. it's like, but yeah, man. I mean, this is also the reason it's such a difficult one is because it's such an extreme crime that he's exactly. now looking guilty of i mean whether you, you may not believe it or you do believe it but i i think it's pretty compelling evidence that he's something was up do i mean you, what do you believe do you believe that he molested these kids yes i do i do believe it do you think and do you blame the parents 
Well, I mean, let me just say this. First of all, that documentary was pretty good as a documentary, but what they didn't do, which is very obvious, is there's no other side. Right. You only mm -hmm. get one side, which is the victims. Mm -hmm. I think that's probably because they didn't cooperate. You know, I don't think anyone from Michael Jackson's world wanted to be in it or have anything to do with it, which is understandable. It's actually probably the best response they could have is say nothing mm -hmm. because these crimes are so hideous and disgusting and over the top that but you can't say anything to defend them. In the Oprah interview, Period. They, in the Oprah interview that they interviewed the director and then asked him like, why didn't you get, you know, the estate's response or whatever? And he said, honestly, it all came down to what happened in that bedroom alone with the victim and Michael Jackson. Like, no one in Michael Jackson's camp is going to know what happened. So why am I going to interview them when they're just going to tell me a bunch of anecdotes and stories and they're going to do some, like, you know, they're going to defend his character outside of that bedroom in Neverland that he was spending time with those kids. Yeah, but mm. there's a problem with that because you're shaping public opinion in one way. And I don't think that's ever well, I fair. Well, think, I think his focus was to tell the victim's story Yeah, and just to focus on their kind of, you know, their yeah. their side. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, that's, I, I think that was the flaw of the documentary. The flaw is that there's nobody speaking on the other side, yeah. you know, and, mm -hmm. you know, yes, you could, that's an okay answer when challenged with that. But the thing is you could also say, but then talk to someone to ask, did you ever see him with children? Did you ever get the suspicion that there was, right. you know, you could, you, you could talk about it without being in the room. Yeah. You didn't have to be in the room. Like all the, look, there, there, it came out and, you know, in part two, there was maids that saw things and there was other people that saw oh, things. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I mean, this is weird. I mean, I, I remember, do you remember, I know Neville might remember, Quo? Q-U-O. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. It was Wade Robson, one of the victims. He was signed to Michael Jackson's S label. Correct. He yeah. had, had There's a rap group with... with Wait, that was Wade? Wade yeah. Robson. And wow. uh, it was a white guy and a black guy. Yeah, I remember right? that. And they both had like blonde bald hair, like or bald bald hair, hair or dyed blonde yeah. hair. Dyed blonde hair. Yeah, yeah and they, it was like a crisscross sort they of... It kind of looked like immature. Right. It was like this kind of in the era of crisscross, somewhere in between onyx and crisscross, if you can imagine those <laughs> things combining... <laughs> But they had these two guys, and I swear to God, I, that came out in the early 90s, I think. Yeah, like, yeah. I remember 93. Like in 90, mid-90s, something like that. Oh, like yeah. Around that time, and I remember when someone handed me that CD, they said, hey, this is on Michael Jackson's label. It's a rap group. And I was like, really? And I looked at it, and he said, and that white boy's the my boy Michael Jackson messes with. And I remember, this was in 93. Wow. Okay. What do you mean by messes with? Well, mess, that's, the, that's Michael Jackson's like boyfriend kind of thing. Ooh. And I'm like, what? And I, but but actually, I don't, I remember not even being shocked because that rumor was already out there even back in '93. Yeah, you know that, those rumors were always out there. And the allegations came in '94. So how did the right? Yeah. right. My thing so, is, how did the FBI not catch this? If these if these things are true, like and I'm that's sure what they did their due it was diligence. like a known fact that something was up, or there was suspicion of something. It was like a rumor, and no one could ever prove it, and no one knew. And then Michael Jackson was extremely powerful and wealthy, and you know, for what he was, and he protected. He was able to protect him. He also apparently was very good at convincing people that there was nothing going on. I mean, mm -hmm. the first whole like 10, 20 years, he was always denying it and mm -hmm. saying he's so childlike himself and he wants, you know. Because he didn't have no child. Well, right. did you, well, do you believe it? Do you believe that he molested those kids? Jamie. I'm kind of caught in a pickle, man. I, at first hey, I was yo. like, I was like, um, <laughs> I was, at first I was like, pickle. yo. <laughs> Poor choice of words, pickle. Caught in a pickle. At first, I was—I even texted him. I was like, I'm, "Yo, I'm watching this shit. I feel like I'm wasting my time." 
like it just seems on one side like almost like it just seems like a rumor in a sense and then he starts talking about um that he made him a song that said my little one or whatever mm-hmm. and then i was like yeah whatever you still lie about that shit but when the video came out the little uh birthday shout out video and he called my little one i wish i love you right then i was like mm, ah, there's probably something going on with wade with the other kid with that- uh, uh, James or whatever. Yeah, James. I do not believe Michael Jackson was hanging out at Simi Valley and going to his crib and all that bullshit. They have pictures. They have pictures of, uh, of him in the room. You know, I don't know. It's, it's kind of weird to me. It was weird, for sure. Why would Michael Jackson hang out with some family? But yeah. then the yeah, truth exactly. is, because the, well, the theory would be because that's his whole strategy for disarming the parents and making them feel like everything's okay. But it's like this mega star this is at the, the time. Michael Jackson at his peak. That's is like, bad. Like superstar. Like, yeah. Right Michael after Jackson. thrillers, like I, it's kind of hard to fucking believe. It is. It is weird. That was one of the weirder things. Is not only does he have his weird sexual, you know, habits, but yeah. then he also chooses to spend his time with like some other family and like hanging out in their like living room and well, stuff. And, and then it, it was it was weird yeah. when he was running around with those little boys around him. Like, the, it was weird. Well, they had video of Wade that, and the other guy. Yeah, running around with him. I was like, oh, that's kind of, yeah. Like, well, why would it, In the Oprah interview, they were they were mentioning that uh, Michael Jackson would come see these families and be like, I never had this. Yeah. This is my never. dream. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, what you guys have is a dream to me to have parents and to be kids and enjoying yourself. So he, he made it seem like the families were saving him. Yeah. That they were giving him this life that he, he was could empowered. never have. No matter how much money he had, they had everything he wanted. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah that's true. I mean, that, that seems to be a common theme, and there probably was truth to the fact that his. Well, he obviously had a very extreme childhood. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. With know, Joe his, Jackson. His father was yeah. very strict. and Joseph. He was living in Vegas until he passed away, mm-hmm. Joe Jackson. Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah that's he, crazy. He lived on, on the strip in the sky. Um, What's, it's called Sky Skyloft. Sky yeah. well, the ones that this condo tower on the strip near Sahara. Yeah, yeah. he was living there. I saw him there. Once. I used to see him in the clubs a couple of times. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Damn, we should got Joe on the pod before he passed. <laughs> he oh, was cool. He rolled around in a Rolls Royce, like hot girls around. Yeah, exactly. yeah. He was he was yeah, like right. pimping a little bit, running around. So that's pretty crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Michael would tell the kids. Remember, like he would try to like tell them, like, don't trust your mother. She's like, evil. You know, and he would. Uh, he would say all women are evil. And that was I was hard for me to believe. No, no, no. He would tell them, like, yo, don't trust <coughs> women. Women are evil. And I started asking Neva, I'm like, yo, did he get his heart broken? Or did he get played by women? Or was that just a strategy to have them not kind of confide to their mother? But either way, I was wondering, yo. I don't know. He he dated a couple of... Brooke Shields? Yeah, I, Brooke Shields, Stephanie Mills. Yeah. The the Presley girl? Tatum O'Neal. Oh, right. Well, who knows what the, what those were? Maybe, I mean, that was I weird because he was. He, it, it wasn't like he wasn't close with his mother. Like, that, they, that, he had a close relationship really, with his mom. That's what yeah. I'm getting at. Maybe his mom didn't protect him from Joe Jackson being I mean, that's ass. 100% she didn't protect him from yeah, Joe so Jackson. Yeah, so maybe that's why she doesn't trust. he didn't trust women like that. Because the Brooke Shields shit was like, that was I definitely like that fake. Was like, that was fake. That was yeah. fake. That, that was fake. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. What kind of feel? He ain't messing with Brooke Shields. I mean, come on. But yo, remember the shit he had with Diana Ross? Like, Diana Ross took his virginity? That was more. I don't believe that. That, oh, that's a bar. <laughs> Yo, that's crazy. No, I didn't know that true. shit. Like, that's, that's a rumor. rumor. That, that's yeah. a rumor. I, that I didn't know that either. Diana Ross took Michael Jackson's virginity. No, they said it was um, Tatum O'Neal that took his virginity. I say, what but a Diana moment. Ross, like, there was some like he, you know, he probably gave that work. Yo, what a, what a moment. <laughs> I don't know, man. Diana Ross. Right, Diana Ross taking my virginity. <sighs> I don't know. One thing I did notice that I kind of like, 
I, maybe I'm wrong. You could tell me if I'm wrong, but it seemed like Wade Robson's mom. Yeah, she was a bit infatuated with Michael oh, too. Absolutely, <laughs> she probably comes. She too. like she had like a little bit of like Chris Jenner in her. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. She was very like. Was she, she left showbiz her, mom. Yeah, stage yeah. mom. She called them. Yeah, called stage, mom. stage mom. Yeah, yeah. Like, she was willing to leave her husband behind. Oh, a lot of that, that was a selfish move on her part. Like she even the part where she said when she found out Michael died, she like laid in his jacket. Yeah, and like mm. for like a week and wearing the, his jacket. The I other lady like, said she celebrated. When yeah, Michael she died. was she was celebrating. Meanwhile, she's holding on to his clothing. It's crazy. I thought bro. that was a little crazy. I don't know if Michael and her may have had something because she even talked about them having conversations. Well, they allude to that. Yeah, they allude yeah. to that. He was sort of seducing her at the same time. I mean, not maybe not sexually, but just yeah. you know, like with words to gain like, confidence. Yeah, to have. I feel Wade. bad for Wade's dad, man. That shit was tough. Yeah. yeah, he hung himself after his her, his last kid flew out to L.A. or whatever. Yeah, dog. Shit, that's that hit home for me too. I was just like, "Fuck." She kind of pimped Wade out, man. Oh, that that made me uncomfortable. Wade Robson was ultimately like the the protege dancer who ended up being the choreographer for NSYNC, Britney Spears, Spears. Yeah. and he actually caused the breakup of Justin Timberlake and Britney Spears, right? Oh, I didn't yeah, know that. the song "Cry Me and River" is supposedly Damn. about what happened between With Wade Robson. Wait, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, breaking up that Britney Spears shit, and yeah. then not Kevin Federline. No, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> he was also a dancer, but not him. Yeah. But then there was also these rumors about, um, like Wade Robinson, like Robson, really depending on the MJ like estate to get work. Yeah. Even yeah. when the um, Circus Soleil show was here, that's uh-huh. what he wanted to do. He wanted to choreograph that show. He wanted to choreograph it. But the family was like, or the Jackson estate was like, nah, you, you didn't want him to do it. Has anyone here seen that show? I've seen it. I haven't. Has I haven't. Else is it good? No. I'm going to tell you, the, the Michael Jackson show at Mandalay Oh, Bay. I have seen it. I have seen yeah, it. Yeah. I, honestly, I didn't like it that much. I mean, I, I love Michael Jackson's music, but that show was kind of boring to me. It's just they, the, they picked the worst songs. They picked the most commercial, non-funky of his repertoire. Like, they didn't yeah. put any anything from the Off the Wall album and stuff. Nah. Like, they didn't put any of that stuff. That's it's like nah. all to the me, cursu- like. Go ahead. One of the best songs on there was a Heartbreak Hotel. Right. In the they, show. That was it. Like, it wasn't what They I just picked it was the most be. commercial, like, doesn't matter if you're black or white, and, and you know, some of those real commercial-sounding ones, mm-hmm. and not the ones that were really funky to me. So, yeah. And the show itself is just basically, like, people dancing to Michael Jackson, and it's kind of, it's just not that exciting. I don't yeah. know. The Beatles saying, one, so I like So you're saying Wade Robson should have choreographed that? Probably. He needed him, I think. <laughs> he should have starred. <laughs> they, they needed him, man. I thought it was going to be correlated with his life or something, like, yeah. have a story. It has no it story. It no story. It was just people it's just, dancing. It's to just numbers. Music. It's like yeah. the, this this song, and then here's the dance. Here's a song, mm-hmm. and there's some good dancers, of course. But it was also I heard rumors now that that's going to get canceled. I heard that also. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, if I got in trouble for a Jackson Five song, fuck the whole show's gone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did Did you believe uh, Michael molested the kids? T Miles. Um, Miles. I didn't before I watched it. I think Wade Robson's story was a little more convincing than the other kid. And that's kind of what I'm holding on to. I'm on the fence. But the first kid, I didn't really nah, care for so you think? Do you think there was... Oh, well, never. What do you think? I don't think he did it. <laughs> I would never. <laughs> Let's call never. Sorry, man. So you don't think... Yeah. I don't think... I think no, part of me says no, that he didn't exactly, do it. Exactly. And then man. that little part, like 10% with the whole video, makes me believe it. But, I mean, there were kids, bro. Like, it's funny because I when I studied, like, law and criminal justice and all that shit... Kids cannot be witnesses and cannot testify because they lie a lot. So in this case, the kids are seven, eight years old or whatever. Or how old, however, however old was Jordy, but it, you can't take that shit 
too hard. Like I don't know. It's kind of hard to believe. So you think you think all those kids are lying? Like there's I about mean, four or five people that have now said. I mean, there's been reports that kids come out and, and the parents be like, "Yo, they were lying. We made them say these lies." Da 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 da. So it's kind of hard to believe. I'm in the fence about it a lot. But more, like, I'm more siding with Neville that he didn't fucking... He just, I, I, I want to hear your like, theory. Go I ahead. I just feel like Michael Jackson, he was just... He had issues. He was he had problems. He was kind of weird. But I don't think he molested those kids or any of those kids. Yeah. And, and then he was... The FBI was, like, checking him out for, like, 15 years. Yeah. They if never he had shit. done something, wouldn't he have gotten invested or... Yeah, well, they were never, for whatever he he was good at. So he must have been really great himself. to fucking... He made him clean up I, the underwear. You saw that. He made, I mean, him, he made him grab the underwear, the bloody underwear. Michael sure Jackson could have been a super criminal. Dude, how did the, how the <laughs> fuck? Okay, here, here's the crazy wait, wait. thing. They, so the bloody underwear that that, uh, allegedly, that Shecky no. is talking allegedly, about. Allegedly, yeah. Allegedly, the, that Wade said he had. Well, they tried to have anal sex. I mean, yeah. Michael attempted to penetrate him. Yeah. yeah. And then it didn't really work or whatever. He was bleeding. And, and he, then so you Michael think, said the next I mean, day, go grab your underwear. You don't think Wade could be lying about this? I, yeah. I felt that they their stories rang true to me because they part of the reason, like I said, I mean, this I've been hearing this rumor for 20 plus 25, 30 years. I mean, no, I, I don't know. Of course, there's a lot of rumors. There's rumors that JFK was assassinated by the mob. There's rumors that we didn't land on the moon. There's rumors. There's all kinds of conspiracies out there. Some mm -hmm. are true. Some are not. You yeah. Know? yeah. But when it came to Michael Jackson, there always was this air of yeah. who is he with? Like, is he with Bubbles the Chimp? <laughs> is he with Emmanuel Lewis? Emmanuel know, Lewis? Yeah. Is he with you know? And there was always this weird thing like, what is his sexuality? And that's also, if you remember, Timex Social Club, they mm -hmm. had um, rumors, yeah, rumors, yeah, which is funny. That's a song, and they said they, they, they questioned Michael's sexuality in that song. Mm -hmm. They said some some tried to argue that he's gay. They said I, I tried to argue, but they said if he was straight, he wouldn't move that way. Mm -hmm. yeah. And they're talking about Michael Jackson. Mm -hmm. So I mean. You know, I, I do. I believe I happen to believe the story, and I respect anyone's opinion. They can have no, whatever yeah. opinion they want, but and I'm I just feel the same way. If, I mean, if, you, if people believe that he did it, I mean, like up to you. Yeah, it's a decision. But man. tell me, you no. don't believe it at all. You, what, what is what is their agenda to make this shit up for money and fame? Exactly. I mean, at a point, you really see. I think Wade Robson is extremely ambitious, and I think he really cares about being in the limelight and yeah, being famous yeah. and being mm -hmm. successful. Yeah. I think James looks extremely damaged. I think James is obsessed with Sh Michael. No, James is the not the Australian kid. I'm no, yeah, that's, that's Jordy. Jordy, right? No, no, Jordy wasn't in the Jordy documentary. Wasn't in it. it was James, James was, was the one from Simi James Valley from California. Yeah. yeah, that's the one. And then uh, Wade was a dancer from yes, Australia. Yeah. yeah. So mm -hmm. you're saying James was? I think he's extremely damaged. I said James is obsessed with Michael Jackson. And he got is, he got hurt. Yeah. With Michael, like. Stop hanging out with him and started hanging yeah. out with. Well, they all they all did. They all yeah. kind of confessed. But I think that. I think yeah. James like it really really hurt him so bad that he was like became obsessed with Michael Jackson. So, yeah, but you don't think that Michael Jackson molested him? Do you think it was just like an infatuation? I think yeah. so. Yeah. Well, even his wife alluded to it when she said like he was just going to like a dark space for days at a time and like wouldn't leave his bedroom. Well, that's like, the aftermath she, of yeah. That that part yeah. of it was the aftermath of sexual abuse. Is mm -hmm. that later in life you get very depressed and you you know apparently but you know you don't know why life. where it sometimes. You just feel sad. Yeah. All the the time. only reason I kind of wanted to believe Wade is because his was the one relationship that kind of went into adulthood too. Yeah, they were friends mm -hmm. for like, a while. The, uh, all the other ones kind of cut off. Him and Wade kind of still lingered into like teenage years and then adult years. Like they were still kind of like he said, like they would still hook up. And he and also, he, they also said that he would only call them when he needed them to testify. Yeah. That he was like 
dissing them until it was time to testify. But then he like uh, but no, but way he started working on the choreography for his uh, history tour, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So they like. But then Michael um, link up his niece with Wade, and they went out for a couple of years. Oh, I didn't oh, know, I that. know that. Who's his niece? You didn't know um, I don't know. I didn't know about that. Dude, that's crazy. I forgot the name, but it's his niece, and they was going out for like five years. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. I didn't know that either. I think Wade had a weird relationship with him. Mm-hmm. In fact, and I don't want to say simplify it like it was basically a, like that he every time he got abused, he felt like he was getting an opportunity to maybe get something else mm-hmm. from MJ. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And it's like I think there was like an exchange going on. Yeah. To a certain degree, you know, but I don't want to oversimplify it, you know, to that yeah. point where it's that sinister or that. Well, they all admit that. They all admit that being around Michael was like this dream and that, I mean, you know, like they all wanted to be in the entertainment industry and that's not a secret. Like they all mm-hmm. kind of admit that part of the reason they were there was because they love Michael. They were big fans and they also all wanted to be Michael. They all wanted to do music or yeah. do something mm-hmm. in, in music industry or entertainment industry. So, I mean. And he was smart. Like he would, he would take. He would have the parents like go shopping. He would have them fly on vacation, or stay in the hotel room at the other floor, or the other yeah. end of the hotel. And then he would just distract them while he was alone with the kids. Yeah. So you don't you think he just wanted alone time with the kids? I think so. Yeah. And they just wanted to play. Yeah. I thought it was interesting with the first guy too when he was talking about his love for jury. And yeah, that was, like, that was that yeah. was. I didn't believe that. Shit. He yeah, said those like pretty rings. much Michael kind of like used him, used his love for jewelry for sexual acts. So he like, hey, yeah. you want this new ring? You know, she got to do. That's funny because that, that, that stuck jewelry. in my mind too. Yeah, and I felt like what he, if you remember, he got really upset and he closed the box. He's he like, I don't like, want to talk about this. Yeah, yeah. he started shaking. Yeah, but yeah. but I thought the reason for that was Some that good acting there. He didn't. Like he didn't really want to say, but he saw that ring and he remembered the actual sexual act he had to do. Mm. That's the energy I got from yeah. him. Like that he was like, he saw that ring and in his mind he was picturing the actual sexual act that he did for Michael to buy him that ring. Yeah, yeah. and he shut it. He was like, I don't want to think about it. You know, that's the kind of. Yeah. It's it's scary. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm just saying Michael could have bought him better rings. They don't look that expensive, <laughs> my guy. <laughs> and then why, why he still have these rings after all? These yeah, rings? pawn them yeah. shit. And that's what I thought too. Is like if you're so disgusted, what are you doing holding on to these rings at the same time? Yes. Because he knows that there's still a value to it. Do you know what, what I'm saying? Sell all the they were probably worth like tens of thousands. Or still, what is he gonna say? Yo, I soaked Mike's dick for this ring. Like, that's, <laughs> no, yo, come that's on. kind of the thing that he was. I think that that's kind of what he was thinking about the, the sex act that he had to do oh, right, yeah, to get I that ring. I don't believe that shit. Right? So, <laughs> I, I, after hearing everyone's opinion, I want to go through the Vanity Fair article. To me, the Forbes was kind of like disclaiming Wade Robson. Mm. There was a Forbes article that was kind of disclaiming Wade Robson and uh, James and everything. But I wanted to get into the Vanity Fair article because they literally listed hard facts. Yeah. These are undeniable facts that you cannot deny. It's just fact, fact, facts. One of the more important ones would be that Michael Jackson was 34 and he slept with Jordy Chandler. Jordy Chandler was not in the documentary, mm-hmm. yeah. but he was 13 at the time. And it is a fact that they slept together for 30 days straight in the same bedroom. Mm-hmm. 30 days straight in the same bedroom. Then the Joe Pod, Bud Button podcast, right? Either Rory or Joe brought up. Mm-hmm. If you were going to be in bed with another girl. For 30 days. For 30 days, sleeping in the same bed, would you be able to not make a move? Yeah, I think he said even I have something like crossed the line. Jordy later went public, right? Jordy later went public and accused him, and that was one of the trials, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's Jordy, the main trial. And then he yeah. actually settled. 
MJ settled for and Jordy mil. got 25 mil. Well, they said 25. 10 to 25 or something like yeah, that. I thought it was 15. Yeah, they didn't say the number. They said it was 10 to 25. His mom received 2.4 mil out of the 25 mil. Look at Jordy. But Jordy I'm got, saying so Jordy got 22. But yeah. Did his mom get in trouble? I don't know. I don't know that dad was the one who that made delegations. Okay, wait. Here's another hard fact. Pause. Uh, Let's go. <laughs> MJ went through skin discoloration disease, right? What's that? Vitiligo? Yeah. Vitiligo. At some point, Jordy was asked by the authorities to draw Michael Jackson's penis because there were obviously some, you know, skin, skin discoloration on skin the disorder. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it was like, you know, spots, yeah. zebra stripes, or whatever the fuck that was on his dick, mm-hmm. but the kid drew it. Zebra stripe. And they actually made Michael Jackson strip, and the drawing was exact. I didn't know that part. I mean, I know that very famously, there's that video where he goes, they took pictures of my penis right. and all that, yeah. you know, and like yeah. that's my torso, my torso and my yeah. lower back, you know, and like, and that's the, that sticks in your mind. I mean, when he said those words, and I, it was like, I was why like, would, why shit. would they do that? And it was to match up that kid's drawing. I didn't know that penis. they actually successfully matched it. They though. did. I it never was, knew it that. was a fact. Okay. So yeah. why, that was, that's enough probable cause to start something. Okay, and then but, here's right, another, yeah, he still right. didn't go to jail. Yeah, this, this sounds fucking saying. weird. Maybe whatever. they took a bath together or what? Yeah, maybe they took a piss. <laughs> maybe they took. He a maybe piss. walked in on know. Mike. Maybe they took a piss together, whatever, and he saw his dick. But why would you take a piss like that? Michael together? was never like I said before. I feel like Michael was a weird. Definitely was weird. He had issues. But no. I don't think he molested. Never is a diehard Michael Jackson. No, fan. I know him. Never's, yeah. got, a, never's got a point. It's important to have somebody here representing because yeah. there are people yeah, out man. there that have that opinion. I'm yeah. with you, never. I'm okay. Here. Okay. I, I disagree. But I but that's like because boys being in the boys being in the locker room taking showers together. Exactly. He probably yeah, walked man. in on Michael sleeping with him thirty days in the bed, supposedly. Okay. I mean allegedly. Uh, all right, all right. The hallway leading to Michael Jackson's bedroom had mad cameras and a bell to warn approaching uh intruders. Hey, it's Michael Jackson, he's security, my guy. Well, that was. was, (laughs) He needs security. He's the biggest star. Are you kidding me? Fans could like fucking. Yeah, they could jump over the. Yeah, yeah, those walls are not big at Neverland. So what? He had like an M M sixteen grenade launcher (laughs) in the back of his closet, ready to like. He had the goon ready. Some Alpatino shit, some Scarface shit. Like he was ready to set it off. C four to your door, no beef, no more. (laughs) What else? Uh, Lisa Marie, remember he married yep. Lisa Marie Presley? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then the, the kid, uh, the gee, woman, that was legit. That was so. <laughs> that fake. was the that most was fake the thing shit. in history. She yeah. was bad. Was too. it the music awards or the video? And music they did the MTV the video awards. They, they tried to kiss. kiss, and it was and so it looked awkward. It looked it awkward like, as fuck. Yeah. yeah, it's probably the most cringe thing in like a de- the, the whole decade. <laughs> it's the most cringe. Why did she yeah. do it? What was in it for her? Money, oh, probably. Money. Well, obviously, yeah, but it's weird, man. Maybe the Elvis Presley estate wasn't popping like that. She How long did that money. marriage actually last? A year, A right? year, probably, I think. And then the way they jump into this thing, the Debbie Rowe, whoever the hell that is, who he supposedly had the kids with, mm-hmm. and like... Where the hell did she come from? Why did he? Ma- why did he yeah. supposedly have kids with her? Are they really her kids? Well, here's the here's the hard right, fact. So the hard fact is that Lisa Marie and Roe, the his baby moms, quote unquote right. baby moms, they never had sex with Michael Jackson. No, Neither was, of them. It was None. a sperm donation. Yeah. Oh, uh, it was like it's injecting. Injecting. It was a fact. Uh, and. Um, well, how do they know that? I no, mean, no. Roe yeah. Ro said for a fact she never had sex with Michael Jackson. They, okay. She admitted that. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, artificial insemination. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if I believe that either. Quote but, unquote. Yeah. And I, then if you believe the storyline of the documentary, he wasn't interested in women. I mean, he no. just wanted, he basically was, you know. And those, maybe he was boys. like, 
asexual. Maybe he just wasn't interested yeah. in sex. Period. And he liked to please himself. He liked to yeah. do it to himself. He always finished by himself. So yeah. they said, allegedly, <laughs> on the documentary. Yeah, yeah man. <laughs> it's I, difficult to talk about, but we got to talk about I it. Got, right? like, yeah. I got like physically sick. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. disgusting. I got like 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 physically nauseous during certain scenes. And I got, like, when they were describing some of the acts that they had to do to Michael Jackson. Like, when they had to bend over and stuff like that? Like that was, like, corner of the I mean, that was kind of like, uh, that was like, damn, like, that was a little freaky. I didn't think Michael Jackson would make them, like, bend over and spread their ass cheeks at, like, you know what I'm saying? The he was like, like, they were on, like, they were performing for him, or they were, like, there as an yeah. object for him to, like, masturbate to, basically. I thought the fucked up thing was when Wade was talking about when he was seven years old, and he's like... Oh, when he had to swallow his... Well, then I think they were giving each other, like, blowjobs. Yes, and he said his, his full-size man penis had to be in a seven-year-old boy's mouth. Yeah. Something like that. He said the the, the, norm, the enormous, he's like, you'd be surprised. Like, I, I guess thinking about the enormous size of a grown man's penis in, like, a seven-year-old's mouth. Yeah. And I, like, I literally almost, yeah. That yeah. was, that was a very, I mean, that was fucking. That was a very disturbing moment. That was graphic Absolutely. as fuck, yeah. man. Yes, that was a very disturbing moment. Hey, you got to sell it, man. <laughs> That's not yo. That's fucking crazy, bro. <laughs> I'm being an asshole, but yes. But I thought uh, another thing that I actually found was interesting that a lot of these guys, the two victims, right, James and Wade, yeah, they didn't really get triggered till their kids started becoming the age that they became yeah. when they were they were uh, molested, right? Yeah. And that's when the breakdown started happening when their kid was becoming six and seven, and they were like, "Holy shit." I would, if someone did this to my kid, I would kill them. Ropes, ropes, and said something right, like that. Yeah, you know? yeah but that—that's kind of when you see it, and that's what I think is that the way Michael approached it with these two kids, he really made it seem about love. Mm-hmm. So he kind of made it like, "Yo, I love you. You love me. This is what people in love do. Mm-hmm. Like people who love each other, they do this shit." Yeah. So it's for a seven-year-old, right? Mm-hmm. They're not going to think there's they're being abused. They're going to associate that with. They're gonna almost treat it like a relationship. Well, that's what they mm-hmm. did. They yes. both said that it was almost like it was like they're in a relationship. Well, they like, mocked the wedding. That's what James yeah, said. They, they mocked the wedding. wedding. But I mean, it's just like yeah. The the I think Michael Jackson had a heart of love for a lot of people, and he seemed to be a loving type of person. That really, it's just that he had a dark side, you yeah, know. And, and they mixed together, <clears throat> and like the love part is what everyone saw, and you know, feed the world and heal the world and all that stuff, and then. There was a dark side. I mean, so these relationships weren't only based on, well, I guess it sounds like it became about just the sex, but in the beginning, there did seem to be a sincere desire for a human connection yeah. from him. Right. You know, but then like, there's also their, like, a level of fear and then leverage. Yes. Because they feared being caught. Like he said, they were, like, they didn't want to be in jail for the rest of their life. And then the leverage of him being able to help them with their careers, like those three combined, and, just, and the thing like they don't want to piss him off because it's Michael Jackson. Yeah, like, that's the whole thing. It's like they just want to be with Michael Jackson, like he's yeah. a big star, and this is what it takes to be with him. I guess this is what you know. It's like so they were afraid of losing their contact with him. Yeah, I have a question. What do you think triggered all this with Michael Jackson? Because you never heard of, like when Off the Wall came out, you never heard about him with little kids. Even when Thriller first came out, you never heard about him being with these kids. Until after Thriller became, like, it was after Thriller, yeah. After Thriller, it became like the biggest album in the world. That's, that's when. A, that's a good point. The though. weird shit you started seeing happening. What? It was all after Thriller, definitely. It was almost that bad. Do you it's think? Funny because I saw. Do you think I, that money allowed him to do what he wanted? 
Uh, his, he had to have money. had money at off the wall and thriller. Yeah, he had right? money since Jackson Five. He didn't have thriller, thriller money. He had thriller money to like make Finding Never like to, to, to make buy Neverland. Neverland. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the things he did with money, it's funny because like he does the things that you think as a kid you would do. Like yeah. I want to go to him. I want to go to a toy store and buy every toy. Or I want to like build an amusement park. Like when you're a little kid, that is the thing you kind of fantasize about. And mm-hmm. no grown ups ever do that. He's like the only one that actually ever did that. Yeah. It seems like you know. Um, yeah, man. It was. Uh, what was your? I'm sorry. What was your original question? No, I was like, what, what why was it? it? Like, was it the thriller? money? What would happen after thriller? Oh, oh, was it? Oh, actually, remember he did the Pepsi commercial? Yeah, and his hair the got fire. caught yeah. on fire, and he got. That's when he first started getting addicted to um, drugs, right? Yeah. Oh, started popping pills. Maybe that was part of that. Yeah, it was probably. Yeah, I mean, you're right. I saw a documentary. There's another great documentary on Netflix about Studio 54. I don't know if you I guys watched it. So yeah, yeah. It's fucking awesome. Isn't yeah, it? mm-hmm. it's so good. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> One of the scenes is Michael Jackson with the yeah. big afro. He's he's looks he very. Hanging, he was hanging out at the club. He looks totally normal. You know, he looks like he doesn't have before all the surgery. He's just like yeah. normal looking, and he has mm-hmm. the afro. And he's like, "Why do you like it here?" And he answers the question. He's like, "I just love the energy, and I love the music, and blah blah blah." Escapism, escapism, yeah. and mm-hmm. he seemed, you know, and that was a place where a lot of freaky sex happened, a lot of right. drugs happened, and it, it did. He seemed even in that world, kind of innocent, like he was. Somehow not doing all that dirty yeah. stuff. I don't know, you know, but yeah. just seeing him like that is kind of his the pure version of him, and then somehow it became this other this other thing. Yeah, and then didn't that James kid was in that Pepsi commercial with him, right? That yeah. was so yeah. that would, mm-hmm. so it may be those drugs that triggered him to start acting wildly out. I mean, that's. I think there was no, a no, series. No, that of, was a different competitive yeah, commercial. Oh, different. I think oh, there was okay, a series sorry. of commercials, and th- that one was before he caught on fire. I think. The one with the boy was like an earlier that, one. No, no, that was like a later one. Oh, that was a later one. That okay. was like during the bad era. Oh, yeah. yeah the yeah. Victory Tour was right. the, um, the first right. um, Pepsi commercial. Okay, when he okay. got his hair caught on fire. Oh, so that was because he was with the Jackson Fives or his brothers. Oh yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. yeah. I just thought it was crazy how um, Wade Robson described how he felt when he saw Michael Jackson with Macaulay Culkin for the first time. Yeah, that's jealousy. <laughs> that was like, I think adults have a problem with processing being replaced. So imagine a child. At that young age, yeah. was it Wade or James? No, Wade. 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 Okay. He's, he's, oh, because he showed up to be in the video. Yeah, he's supposed to be in the video. Here's Macaulay in the black or white video. Black or white. Yeah, Home Alone kid. <laughs> and he was like, and, he shows up and it's Macaulay Culkin. And then, by the way, when they showed the dancing, it was so shitty. Yeah, Macaulay Culkin's <laughs> dancing was like whack in that video. When yeah. they showed the little clip of it, I was like, yeah. oh, I forgot. Yo, Wade was killing it on that stage. Yeah, Wade is amazing. But yo, the level of like audacity that Michael Jackson has to manipulate all these kids though, that's even fucked up. Even if he wasn't molesting them though, they're just to like True. Yeah. I mean it's very evil. Like it's like that's the thing that's hard. That's why it's so hard for people to say that it's happened. Because for for him to do these things, you have to be a very evil person who wants to just destroy some young boy's life for your own pleasure or he was you know, that narcissistic like, he was that narcissistic yes. and he was that selfish and self-centered yes and he was just so caught up in everything i get whatever i want and this is me it's i can my see world. that i can see that and him yeah. just not realizing like macaulay culkin's my new best friend and then wade not realizing that wade's gonna get hurt in the process yeah or these kids are gonna get fucked up mm-hmm. watching all of this shit but I, to me he wanted to be a kid right and I think the urges that we are as as grown grown ass men, the only way to get closer than friends is like that level of intimacy is to actually have sex or to have some type of physical, mm-hmm. you know, interaction, intercourse or whatever the fuck. Mm-hmm. 
You don't think that at no point, as much as he was a kid and wanted to hang out with kids, that urge of just going to that next level of getting that level, a next level of intimacy was to so, fuck man. around That's with those kids. Crazy, I don't think bro. so, man. And if so, why didn't it happen with all of them? <laughs> but if you think you're a kid, yeah, it's kind of like you don't see like I'm a grown adult. You just kind of see it like, yo, I'm a kid too, but I'm just in this body of a grown man. Do you think he did anything with Macaulay Culkin? And that's Macaulay Culkin just holding on I to think, the story. I think so. I, th- I, th- I happen to think that the, he did it with all of them. Yeah, I mean that and seems. There's, there's just a few that are still very loyal. Sean Lennon. Hmm, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> they was who hanging knows? out a lot together. Yeah, they were together too. I forgot about. Wait, that. Wait, who was yeah. the other dude? Uh, who's in all the '80s movies? Craig, uh, Corey Feldman. Corey, Corey Feldman. Feldman. Oh, he had his. Yeah. He had a. He accused Michael also of messing with him. Yeah. He changed his mind. Yeah, at first he was like, "Oh, Michael didn't he do nothing." He was like, "Yes, no, yes." And then no. he was like, "I kind of believe what the what the guy said in this um in the documentary." Because so. he was yeah. doing it too, probably. But I feel like he just trying to get some money right now. Also, now. he seems pretty thirsty right now. It's been a cold yeah. streak. It's been a cold streak for Corey <laughs> yeah. since the other Corey passed. Yeah. Corey Haim, Corey Feldman. Exactly. Oh so. man. <laughs> How about when Michael? But what about when Michael? I, this is this yeah. was. I mean, not not that the, any of this is funny, because but but I thought that when he brought all the boys together for a slumber party, yeah. it reminded me of kind of like if you're kind of a player and you go to the club and your current girl, your ex girl, yeah. and, your, and, your, and, and some other girl that you mess with are all like in the club at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Like, how do you handle that? Like, yeah. how do you? And so he, that he was like. You know, like they said, he would disappear in the bedroom. I think with Jordy at that time. The bathroom was like, I know. He knew it was. I know it's coming. That used to be me. I was like, okay. So then I was imagining, like, what are what are Wade and Macaulay doing, like in the other room, like, "Hmm, what do we do now? Like, we're just like sitting here waiting, and they're like listening to the other room or whatever. It was just just kind of awkward, you know. You know know what? I don't like. I said I don't believe any of this happened. But if one person came with, of all people, if Emmanuel Lewis was to come out and was like, yo. Michael did molest me as a And Macaulay Culkin comes I out. I would believe that shit. And Macaulay Culkin comes out. Emmanuel Lewis? Emmanuel Lewis, Is yeah. it because he's black? No, I'm going to go with Macaulay Culkin. Wait, wait, wait. No, not because. I mean, he was like the first one. He was like the first kid that was hanging out with Michael but Jackson. But it's also yeah. the fact that he's black. It's not because he's black. You don't think so at all? No, I'm just saying because he was nah. the first one. Because I want It was more than that. I, and also, he was, a, he was a star at the time as well. Well, look at... I mean... I look at. I think it's funny that everyone gets email about Michael Jackson, right? No one got an email about R. Kelly. Uh, I did. Well, I did for the background music. Yeah, we got complaints about R. Kelly too. <laughs> He's like, we're, we're stopping. Because, and Chris Kelly. Brown, all Chris of them. Brown? All, yeah. I've gotten emails in recent weeks about all three of those guys about don't play their music because people. And I never cu- got customers no, are complaining. But as DJs, we I don't. I never got no like no R. Kelly shit, and then all of a sudden we're getting no. the no Michael Jackson shit, and I think the victims with R. Kelly were. Young black girls, yeah, mm-hmm. and I think the victims with with Michael Jackson were young, like most of them were young white white boys, yeah. Right. And I think that there was evidence about R. Kelly. Like there, there was, was evidence there about was R. Kelly. Real they evidence. got video, but is, does race come into play with this shit about who's dictating, you know, who to ban Michael? Do you know? What I I'm just saying? think that this is because Michael's just a bigger star than R. Kelly, and it's like you know. I think I, the victims has a yeah. another like two white dudes, and I and think it's the victims the too white because boys. if the FBI was in, is involved and it's not nothing now, but the court of public opinion is pinning him and it's involving young white men, I, I think that says something. Like, where's the video of him hanging out with all those boys in his bedroom? Like, no, why does that, there have to be a video? video? Where's the video of you having sex? Well, no, no, no. I mean, <laughs> whoa. I'm saying. Yeah. I'm Where's saying the video? You, you, never, I'm you saying must be a virgin because yeah, I've never seen a video of I'm you having the, sex. I'm saying the hallway <laughs> that he had cameras on. 
I've seen Jamie have sex. <laughs> bro, come no, on. Jamie, I agree with you. Where's really? the videos? That house is hallway. Oh, the security video. You're saying. Yeah, like him, the, like I'm those sure kids walking in and being it. trapped. Okay, that's the level of that's the level of evidence we need right now. The video of Michael walking in the hallway with with why would that even prove anything? He definitely didn't have cameras in the bedroom where the no, but he had place. cameras leading to the hallway. You said right? No. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Where? Come on. But that wouldn't show anything. But if the FBI the at that point, I think went he was careful. That? I think he was careful about where he did his dirty his yeah, dirty deeds. Was. I think he was careful to do it behind closed doors. It's just no hard to get through the fucking FBI without getting caught, bro. Like, that shit is a level of intelligence. For, like, 15 years? Dude, come on. It's yeah, nuts. A lot of these motherfuckers <laughs> got paid off, though. Everyone got paid Probably. off. Yeah, there's so much money involved that they can basically... <laughs> so they could pay off the FBI? No, they, the, they, they, they paid the victims. I mean... Yes, they paid the victims. Look, everyone, exactly. Someone got a house. They paid the victims to shut up. James, James' family got a house, right? Yeah. Yep. Yo, like, every someone, people got paid. Wade got his career further. You know what I mean? He... It's like everyone. Michael had the money to buy off whatever problem. He there had, was no basically. incentive, like to really go after him, yo. You know what I'm saying? Like if you were a victim, it's kind of. That's like, actually a really good point because it's almost in everyone's interest that he continues to make money. So that's really the calculation that probably happened. It's like every single person in the world has a reason for Michael Jackson to keep making money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So except for like maybe a tiny, tiny abyss of people, you know. But it's like that's the calculation that everyone did. It's like. We can't pull down Michael Jackson. He's Michael Jackson. He's funding all these things. He's selling all these things. He's the king of pop. I mean, know? let's think about the Circus Soleil show, the Michael Jackson Circus Soleil show, right? That's going to mm-hmm. end right now, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I mean, uh, Shecky pulling all the songs from all the playlists and casinos and everything like that, that's not affecting anyone's jobs. The yeah. Circus Soleil, how many motherfuckers work at that show? Probably like a hundred or something like that. Yeah. I mean, those motherfuckers are out of work. How many fucking I don't. Someone was just texting me that someone is a Michael Jackson impersonator, and they oh, that, that, and that industry is gone. They now. lost eighty five percent of their business. Yeah. yeah. So it's like he can always become a Prince impersonator. <laughs> I don't know about that. Fucking. <laughs> I thought it was you know kind of contrary to. I, I thought it was really brave of these guys. I mean, you said what you said about Emmanuel Lewis and Macaulay Culkin is true. I think if they confessed it or they spoke about it, it would have more credibility because of they have way more to lose yeah. than these other guys. But watching it, wait, wait, Emmanuel Lewis has more to lose. <laughs> what does he have to lose? He has nothing. Is he, is he, is he, what even, is he doing now? Yeah, I don't no, know. No disrespect. I didn't, know, I didn't even know he was still alive, bro. <laughs> I, didn't I know thought that. that I didn't want to say it, but I was is thinking. He, that no, too. you were thinking it, about the other one. Gary, Gary Coleman. Coleman. Gary, Gary Coleman. No, no, I knew Gary Coleman had passed away. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure about Emmanuel. Lewis. Y'all act like Emmanuel Lewis is on a yacht right now, and he like invested <laughs> he, in he like Apple you never know. stock or something, yo. I have know. a, qu- I have a question. <laughs> like, what do you think for the victims or alleged victims is the is the end game? Because I know usually when you're um, in that situation, a part of you wants to see the victim suffer. Mm-hmm. In this case, that's not going to happen. Right. Yeah, he's dead. So, so you mean he's not he, the victim. So you want to see the perpetrator. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, my, my apologies. Yeah. You want to see uh, your accuser suffer. Right. You want to see them in in jail. You want to see them feel some kind of pain and remorse for what they did. That's never going to happen for them. So what right. is so, the, so what's the yeah? What's what that? is the end game? Yeah, what's what's what is so next? the end game is that this is bigger than Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm. This is about the music industry, the entertainment industry, celebrity itself money, fame, all of these things, 
all enabling this kind of behavior to continue. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that is the big picture. And that's actually what Oprah was trying to say is that, you know, Michael Jackson was a huge star and everything. And you can make it about Michael Jackson, but in, in the end, it's about the abuse. It's about the molestation. Mm-hmm. It's about people paying people off, people making money off of other people and continuing to let these people abuse other people. Right, because there's money for everybody if they exactly. just let them survive, let them keep going. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's the actual problem. That's the end game for that education to come out there. Mm-hmm. And that's why I always, I mean, Shecky, you can tell me if, you, if I'm wrong or not and what you think about this. I think R. Kelly and Michael Jackson, we have never witnessed as DJs something in, you know, something going on in the news never affected us mm-hmm. not playing the music. Mm. I'm trying, you know think, I'm trying to think of another example where the, the current events affected the music. Chris Brown was maybe. Chris maybe, Brown was. A, Chris was Brown. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. But still, it was like, eh. But now it's like, yo, you cannot play that shit. Like R. Kelly, you cannot play. Michael Jackson, like you said, never. I was going to drop you, Billy Jean. You, 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 you have the needle queued up and you're like, wait a second. Exactly. No, I can't do it. Because you can risk. Especially because it was a corporate crowd. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And the fucked up thing is that song can. Michael Jackson's songs can now be a trigger in a nightclub. For someone a who negative, was molested, a negative trigger, yeah. a negative trigger for someone yes. who was molested or abused to have a fucking mental breakdown. Yeah. Someone actually DM'd me an experience of playing R. Kelly this weekend, and some chick had a mental breakdown, cried and cursed out the DJ and cursed out the manager and left. Mm-hmm. And it just fucked up the whole mood of the night. Yeah. And then she came back later and apologized and she said, "I'm sorry," but in the end, we don't want that shit happening across like yeah. America nightlife. Yeah. So, like I said, it's the biggest dilemma as music fans. DJs are also music fans, you know, that we've ever had to face. Like, how do you how do you weigh these things in your mind? Is it all the pleasure that music has provided us and th- literally hundreds of millions? Especially of people. Michael Jackson. Yeah, Michael man. Jackson's music has given pleasure and fun and love and and good feelings to literally hundreds of millions of people for mm-hmm. like decades. Yep. Yeah. And now all of that good energy is now tainted with like a drop of like, you know, more than a drop of, of blood, you know, like in the in the pool. And now it's like, wow. So what do you think? So in our group chat. How do you chat, handle that? In our group chat, we had the, the excerpt on uh, D.L. Hughley. Where he's, D.L. yeah. He was comparing playing Michael Jackson and R. Kelly to singing along to the national anthem. Mm. And how he can still do that yeah. knowing the history of the national anthem. And what it stands for, he, and who the wrote star, it. Star That's a band. great point. Star, uh, yeah. So star basically, what he That's was saying, excellent point. he was saying, "Are you gonna?" They asked D.L. Hughley, "Are you gonna continue to listen to Michael Jackson, R. Kelly?" He said, "Yeah, I'm gonna listen to them, just like I'm gonna continue to like sing the national anthem." Yeah. yeah. And it's like, yo, like you don't think this country has done, like, <laughs> and the guy that vote, has um, committed one of the greatest crimes of all time, which is slavery. Yeah, about yeah. to say that the guy that yeah. voted, Francis um, Key, Francis Scott Key, yeah. Francis Scott Key, yeah, he was a slave owner. Those songs suck, though. All those songs, the national anthem, our, our national anthem is not a good tune. Yeah. You know, like Michael Jackson is like a tune but that the, you it's feel. It's a national anthem, though. It's like No, I, I get his point. I agree with him. I agree that there's a comparison there. I, uh-huh. I get it, but it's like... Is it a fair comparison? Well, just because those are songs that aren't popular music. They're just in another category, kind of. Uh-huh. Like, they're just songs you have to sing because it's the national anthem, but it's like... But they stand for... You don't for have to, but the songs that you're supposed to sing because yeah. it's a national but anthem. But the national anthem is... is Standing for an ideal of what America is, could be. But those songs never be. made me feel good. Like no. human, human nature makes me feel good. But a Michael Jackson you know, song. Like, but the, it, the the Michael Jackson song is the same thing of like 
it is selling the ideal of what your childhood was or your memories and your your history yes, was. Yes. So there's a similarity that there's an ideal attached to each song and each thing oh, for every man. different person. I mean, I was I, I'm a little older than you guys, I, I, but never knows. I, I ran home the day when Mike when Thriller debuted on TV. It was on the yeah, Friday was like, night videos yep. on NBC. I was sort of seeing, yeah, I was there. <laughs> same thing. I, I, I came, I was so excited to see that the first time they ever showed Thriller. This is when only a few people had MTV. It was very yeah, early. Exactly. And most and people had, had they only it, NBC. They showed it that one time, and then you had to wait a year later when That's it came right. out on, on video. videotape That's to see right. it again. That's right. And, that, and we were so excited to see yep. that. That was the most important cultural musical moment is mm -hmm. watching that video and you, we all have good memories of how yeah. incredible it was to see the video the dancing and him and the motown 25th anniversary and that the moonwalk when that got debuted talk about the next day we was talking about it in school it's like oh, shit, oh you saw michael jackson do the moonwalk that moonwalk yeah. would change the world man that yeah, changed that was the my, world that was my first concert live concert was michael jackson so. oh word Good for it you. Was 88 or 89, my mom took me. The bad tour? LA Sports Arena. That, it was 88. Yeah, yeah 88, 88 89. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So with all of this happening with R. Kelly and the, the banning of all this music, we're not allowed to play this music. And we see all the things that happen with people who worship celebrity and worship fame and money. I'm starting to think this is the death of actual celebrities and superstars. The, the, the decline and the demise of it. No, and only you, if you fuck up. If you're a celebrity and you fuck so, up, then, then you can't you can't get away with it. Anymore. Yeah, but, no, Michael, but, but Michael's dead now, and they still yeah. went after him. No, but I'm saying that people, we, people, Americans are becoming more and more cynical. Mm -hmm. So the the idea of celebrity of superstars like that is evolving. It's changing. Yeah, that's true. You know, it's funny. I thought the same thing when we watched the documentary because those scenes of Michael and all those people following him. It looked like it was another world. Like you never see that anymore. Yeah. Even for a hu even for like the biggest, like you know Bruno Mars or someone who's like the biggest guy, yeah. you don't see the. When you saw Michael Jackson, there would be like literally thousands of people in the street just trying to see him, mm -hmm. trying to touch him, trying to be close to him. And that's what I remember. Watch that struck me. I was like, man, that's changed people a lot. Faint, fainting in the because streets. of like social media, your access to the person. You're and knowing all that. a lot more about the artist now. So like all of these artists that we we, we fantasize what kind of person they be, how they be. Yeah. and then Now you already know. Now there's no secret there's anymore. There's no secret. We see yeah. them every day in their life and we're like, dude, that dude's crazy or that dude's manipulating fame or yeah. like this dude's yeah. like He's manipulating just like me. Or he's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then I think it's kind of like the, the worship of celebrities fucking changing and then you're seeing nobody's become like famous for nothing. You know, like Instagram famous. And they're almost like meeting the like the like I would say like Yeah, the cheapening of the celebrity kind of like Well the planes are kinda of evening out in a really odd and weird way. Yeah, you know? Like yeah. we're noticing the flaws of celebrities and we're seeing and we're very cynical right now. Just like like with politics. We're all we were all very ignorant about politics. Now we're starting to see like, yo, uh, the system speak for, is speak for yourself. Up. I, know, I know. All right, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I hang out with like, somewhere though. <laughs> yeah, so the system is like the system is the problem, uh, you yeah. know. But I mean, I, I keep thinking about that that I think this is the death of celebrity and the, the death of the superstar. We'll never get another Michael Jackson. I, I think I agree. There's never going to be anyone as famous as Michael Jackson. Yeah. I think the last one was Justin Bieber, and that was like. He's not gonna be, I would no. say maybe Drake. I would no. say Beyonce. No. Beyonce, yeah, she's smart. Beyonce, she stays Drake. off of social media. And then the yeah. shit that's scary about Beyonce is she can do no wrong to her fans. Exactly. At all. Yeah. So if she so. were to, it would be like. But a I situation. Think she seems very grounded, though. Yeah. But I mean, 
it's just it's one of those things where like i mean even with never like mm-hmm. is there part of you that does believe it that but doesn't want to believe it because you think it's going to destroy a part of your childhood maybe yeah, yeah. maybe yeah. like i said it's split in the middle pause <clears throat> and you're not ready to destroy that your childhood yet i'm not for mu- that i'm not muting michael jackson out my life and i feel never because that's for me too and my mom's childhood like my mom and my aunts, they, they grew up to that, and I loved them because of them. So a part of me is a connection to my family, which is connected to him. That's what, you know I, mean. what I mean. It's like his influence is so tremendous it's that it's like... It's like we knew Michael. It's, we it's knew Michael was kids. It's like yeah. we just listened to Jackson 5. It's so up. much to ask to ask a person, especially, honestly, like someone who grew up around black music, to ever stop thinking of it that way yeah. it's mm-hmm. such a difficult ask and that's why this is un, unprecedented in terms of yeah. the, the the severity of the crime versus the popularity like these two things are meeting at the highest level it's right. like the biggest artist of all time and the worst possible crime you could be accused of yeah. Yeah. ever yeah. is to molest a, a, a child right right a defenseless child you know is the worst thing you could do right yeah. and and he's the most popular person of all time that supposedly or is accused of doing the worst like, possible crime of all time people would accept him killing a man but right before so this yes it's crazy i mean <laughs> isn't it true like if you go to prison as one of these people you have you have the worst treatment of anyone yeah, you get yeah. the same oh, treatment yeah. back big time right so i mean do you guys uh and shaky i want you i look Obviously, I watched Kirby and Kirby Enthusiasm, right? Uh-huh. And there was a scene. There was a one episode where uh, Larry David was whistling Wagner. Oh yes, yes. And yes. then there was another, and Larry David's Jewish, right? And then another Jew, uh, Jew came up to him and basically said, "How could you whistle a tune by Wagner? Uh, Hitler used to play Wagner mm-hmm. uh, through the loudspeakers while he was sending Jews to like concentration camps to the gas chambers, mm-hmm. right? And I kind of made me think about." how something that long ago still resonates now with a composer and music. The composer doesn't have control over who listens to his, who listens to his shit, what. but ultimately his music was tied into this horrible thing like the Holocaust and yeah. Nazis and everything. And then how does that, you know, and, and I thought it was it's an a, interesting take. Like no, there is. I mean, it's yeah. funny because like there's a lot of things from the Holocaust that are still around. Yeah. Like, for example, Volkswagen. Volkswagen was Hitler's company. Yeah. Hitler mm-hmm. basically backed Volkswagen. I didn't and know that. The Beetle, <laughs> the Volkswagen Beetle, which now you think of as a hippie mobile, yeah. like with guys with long hair smoking weed. Back then, that was actually Hitler's invention. It was his I idea. Read about wow. that. I did read about that because he wanted a vehicle that had an engine in the back. Yes. And he wanted a vehicle that could only run off of gas and oil. It didn't, it didn't have a, a carburetor. It was something about it was something more that, efficient kind of car yeah. that he built. You and know? it was able to run through the desert without getting kind of like, um, it didn't need water. It didn't need like antifreeze. Like it only ran off of gas and oil. That was it. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, and then there's other examples like, uh, uh, you know, Hugo Boss. Hugo Boss clothing was started as Nazi uh, uniforms. Mm. And wow. and uh, oh, also yeah. Deutsche Bank, which is still around and mm-hmm. is the only, you know, in the news sometimes for Trump related, mm-hmm. is was the people that supposedly financed the Holocaust, who actually put up the money to build the concentration camps and all that. Yeah. I, mean, I don't want to get too heavy here, but it's a heavy no, topic. Let's get heavy. Yeah, let's, let's get, get heavy, heavy topic. Heavy, man. <laughs> but well, no, even, even turn the, it back. Uh, the owners, the brothers that started Adidas in Puma, they had a falling out because one of them wanted to go into business with Hitler. And so they, ah, they split. And the brother that split started Puma. So Adidas went into business with Hitler? I heard well, about that. Yeah, I didn't know that. Uh, one of the, I know one they're of the both brothers, German. Yeah, yeah one know. of their brothers was in the military. He went away and his brother, he came back and his brother had started business 
of them doing apparel and they fell out to the day they died. They never spoke. One continued doing business as Adidas and the other one did business as Puma. Right. So the brother that did not want to uh, Adi Dossler or something. Yeah. 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 Dossler. The one who the brother who did not want to work with uh Hitler, Hitler started Puma. Started Puma. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they, they were in comp- competition with each other to the day they died. They can and this is a competition now. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's heavy, man. It's like yeah, and that's a good point. That that's that that Larry David joke is referenced sometimes among Jewish people. Like that, mm-hmm. that not that exact joke, but that the idea that that music represents the Holocaust somehow. Right, yeah, and you're absolutely right. It's like if you make a piece of art, you don't have control over who uses it, unless in some cases the art can have a bad message and people embrace it. Like you could have like a white supremacist song or something that is obviously bad, you know. But something like Wagner is a very interesting point of view because if the music itself is not guilty of anything, the artist maybe is guilty of something or maybe not. We don't know. You know, It's a case-by-case thing. Well, here's yeah. the thing. Once the music's out and it's in the public... I mean, that guy Rod Temperton was a, a guy that wrote a lot of Michael Jackson songs, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. You know, and he's a very, I mean, behind-the-scenes famous guy. Yeah. He's just as much to do with those songs. Quincy Jones, right. these other guys, that they're, those songs are part of them, too. They're creations yeah. of... These other great musicians too, mm-hmm, you know. Yeah. So it's like, how do you separate that? How do you deal with that? You know, and Michael's obviously the lead because he's the artist, he's the voice. But you know, those pieces of music have many other contrib- contributors. To yeah. them. And don't you mm-hmm. think it's interesting? I mean, I would love to hear what Quincy Jones has to say about this shit. Oh yeah. yeah. So number, by the yeah. way, remember when Quincy Jones was going crazy? Yeah. I need him to go crazy again because yeah, I want to hear what oh, the that was fuck. great. Dude, don't you think he would have said something about Michael Jackson? I think, that, I think his daughters were like, yo, chill. He get said his that phone away. Richard Pryor slept with Marlon Brando or something yeah, crazy yeah, like yeah. that. We talked about <laughs> that. Didn't he right? say yeah. that? Yeah, he yeah, said that. Yes. Yeah. He said Richard Pryor saying. slept with Marlon Brando. <laughs> if like, he spilled that, shit, why didn't he spill that whole Michael Jackson shit? Yeah, exactly. I'm just saying. I want to know. I'm so curious. Look, listen, and I don't want to sound like very, like, you know, not. Like fucked up towards you know people. I mean, kids that get touched or whatever. It's just I'm playing the devil's advocate and I'm going all out like that. I'm just saying that. But do you? Yeah. So do you don't believe or you do believe? Again, I'm split in the middle. He's on the fence. You're on I'm the on fence. the fence. But I'm making jokes and maybe sounds insensitive. I'm just being an asshole and playing devil's advocate. And oh, but thanks, thanks for clarifying that. Just saying, Jamie. Bro. We really well, appreciate. We were that. in the car listening to Joe Budden together, <laughs> and Joe Budden was pretty much saying it's crazy how we can make light of it when it's boys, but when it's when it was just R. Kelly and girls, it was so much more sensitive yeah. and so mm-hmm. much more serious. I don't think we, we can find make a light of it with the not with make, fucking little boys, but yeah. Yeah, like it's like kind of like <laughs> the girls' situation is I way think, more I think sensitive. race has to do with it too a little bit, man. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. <coughs> you don't, were saying that it's kind of weird that Oprah is like streamlining this, but yeah. she's, my boy actually explained to me that she was molested or abused or she raped. Was. Yeah, she was. So she's been always an advocate of this. And but then, she hung out with Harvey Weinstein. Or no, no, not even that. She interviewed Michael Jackson back in '93. That was like the first interview he did yeah. in years. Was that uh, pre-accusation? No, at the time he was when being he was accused. being accused. Yeah, of exactly. Yeah. 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 Mm. Now all of a sudden she's against him. Well, she that that interview that she had with the victims on the HBO special, that specials that she did. Okay. All the attendees were uh, victims oh. of oh. of abuse. Tough crowd. Yeah. Very. Very tough so, crowd. All right. I didn't know Anthony Edwards was abused. Goose from Top Gun? Oh, really? Really? Yeah, yeah, he was he was like in the forefront. They like he actually stood up and said some shit. Oh, man. But I was I didn't even remember what he said cuz I was just like Goose <laughs> from Top Gun. <laughs> I didn't know like he was abused. I'm not, I'm not laughing that the motherfucker was abused, right. but I'm just saying like yeah, I didn't Goose. realize like 
Goose? I didn't know that. I'm gonna have to watch this Oprah thing. So yeah. here's a. All right, I have a question. Did you find it kind of funny that um, Oprah did that Michael Jackson um, special, and then her girlfriend, her best friend, does R. Gail Kelly. King, did the R. Kelly yeah. special? Well, they got a lock on that. I mean, you know. But it's kind of coincidence at the same time. It's just yeah, like, I, you know, they probably were sitting in a room at the same time and came up with the idea. I mean, who knows? Yeah, it is. It is interesting that but they, you're those saying two it's have like some like white Illuminati shit to like tear down, like like great black it entertainers. Seems like, I mean, no, they're both black women. I mean, but but, still, but they're kind just, of the Illuminati might have. But a hold still, on they're like them. yeah. It's like, like why dance. are them two going after like because they just want to because it's <laughs> is it a coincidence? <laughs> Oprah's yes, been retired from the talk show biz, though. I don't think there's any conspiracy behind that. It's just that they both had, I mean, I don't know why Gail King was the one that did the R. Kelly interview, but obviously she had a connection to him somehow. And like, that's just crazy. To, oh, yeah. Man. Sounds like something's going on. Robert, what? Illuminati? What would be going on? What? <laughs> Maybe Illuminati? I'm a little with Shecky on this one, Look man. If, if they didn't do it, someone else would have. Someone's, yeah. yeah. You, you know, I just on. like I just like the way he never thinks that. <laughs> that, that white Illuminati is using like Black people. Oprah Winfrey and yeah. her friend Gail to destroy. <laughs> Black black to take down the, great, the greatest black, black entertainers of all time. Divide and conquer. <laughs> Yo, never still believes that in a room somewhere far away, there's like Mr. Whitey, like the Illuminati. Like, like, yeah. Remember like, I'm going to get you sucker, like Whitey? There was just that one guy, Whitey, that's trying to destroy all the black entertainers. Like, They're doing a good job right now. I mean, like. It is kind of crazy, though. Yeah. 2019 will be the year. Of some shit ha- like coming out. 2018 and 19. Yeah. Well, um, okay, I have another question. All this shit, they're digging up all this shit about Michael Jackson past. Do you think they're going to like dig into Elvis Presley past? or? I mean, I have no reason to defend Elvis, Elvis Presley. Elvis was a hero to most, but he never meant shit to me. You know, but I mean, I mean, you know, but my, I mean, with the and it won't affect. I don't think it. I don't think it'll affect us. <laughs> no, but, but is he? Is you know? I'll tell you what. Chuck Berry. For, the, for those Chuck who Berry did some dirt. For those who don't know, enemy. that was a public enemy line yeah. from Fight the Power. <laughs> Shecky has those times where he just drops you some lyrics and you're yeah. like, uh, you, you have to you you pretend you, you, you know what I mean. That's all. He got to get his source mag. Yeah, his source magazine. But 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 if Elvis. Elvis did some dirt like that. I mean, of course, look. Like Jer- he married his um, Jerry Lee Lewis. Jerry, Lee, that's the number one. Yeah, is an, is, has been. And they made a movie of, um, about that shit. He's been accused. He's been pretty much. He admitted that he he was with young girls. And that was no. Yeah, that was his cousin. He married. He married she was sixteen. A, at a young the time. girl. Yeah, yeah. And so they made are, a movie about that shit. And and Chuck Berry is famous for filming women going to the bathroom. I don't wow. know if you know about that. Chuck Berry. I know. Had, you know about it. I heard about without that. Them, without them knowing? Without them knowing. He got off on, on women going to the bathroom, right? Isn't that what the story Something is? Like that, Something yeah. like that. To yeah. answer Nick's question, I like, I'm not worried because I know I'll never play Elvis Presley. I mean, that won't affect me one bit. I, think I mean, but that Elvis Presley is like the king of rock and yeah. roll. Yeah, yeah, but I just feel like it won't affect they're me. Not gonna tarnish, they're not going to tarnish his career. I don't care about you, Elvis. Like they did Michael, Jack, like they Michael Jackson right now. You think you're going to get the Elvis Presley Chuck Berry email? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Don't play anymore. Chuck Berry or Elvis you Presley. Can't play. Don't be cool. Yeah. Not the Bobby Brown, but the I'm more, Elvis Presley. I'll be more worried if they tell me not to play uh, Elvis that sings suavemente more than Elvis Presley. <laughs> no, I'm just saying. Crespo. <laughs> yeah. I was cool. <laughs> All right. Um, guys, very deep shit today. Oh, Pause. Yeah. Wait. Deeper than Great. jacuzzi deep. Yeah. <laughs> this is like you were holding deep. that bar for the whole <laughs> week. Olympic swimming, deep. Olympic swimming pool deep. I think it's deeper than that. I think it's ocean deep. deep. Pacific Ocean deep. Pacific Ocean deep. Pretty deep. Bro. Are we gonna wrap this up, or you want to go dive a little bit on the beyond the music, just a little bit? Uh, I'll hold that till next time. 
let's 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 talk about it but let's 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 uh say I'll say peace, peace. so shecky thank you man yeah my pleasure guys that was Yo, awesome man shecky green thank you, thank you man Tomorrow. appreciate, appreciate you. you man good seeing you Thanks, all right shecky green ladies. all right peace 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 <laughs> he, shecky has his hip-hop voice sometimes that throws me off in the, in the office. Yeah. Like, yo, you buddy motherfucker. I'm like, oh, yo. <laughs> but love Shecky. That's just great. Yo, Shecky, good looking out, man. Oh, my pleasure, man. Shit. You want to end it? You want to do end it right now? Or you want to talk about Beyond the know? Music? Guys keep pointing my hoodie because I'm wearing a Beyond <laughs> the <laughs> Music hoodie. <laughs> 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 oh, no. By the way, this show is brought to you by DJ City. Just so you we know. need to, we need to read. No, we don't need to read. We don't need to read. But yeah, this this show is brought to you by DJ City. Are they DJ City. DJ City All right. Make sure you get all that right. Um, yeah. And you use a coupon code. Speaking of DJ City, yeah. Right, so let's, let's get into this. Let's get into this. Let's. I'm, I'm, uh, let's get it. Let's get. I've this been wanting to talk this. You know what, man? After that this. Michael Jackson session, I'm think I'm gonna take a shot. Oh, of, we don't uh, have glasses. So you might just Don Julio. No, Don take Julio. It to the head. Take it to the Are head. you drinking Don Julio? I'm drinking Don Julio. Don Julio seventy. Seventy. That's the uh, no, so it's not 1942. It's not 1942. Is that Don Julio seventy smoother than 1942? Smooth. And you can get it now. That's what they say. At any local market for half of. 1942 you know look at that look at oh, god damn he's really drinking that shit Jesus Christ <laughs> Woo. yo I just did like two shots that was, was like that shots. smooth never that was really smooth man. so Hi, man. Don smoking. Julio <laughs> let's get into this beyond the music so uh beyond the music was a retreat in Black Hawk Colorado it was yes. it was by uh Vice and um, DJ City DJ how City for, how can you forget DJ City I'm getting my thoughts together man get it together here um and they invited a bunch of panelists. They had a bunch of like, uh, so they were offering, you know, it's basically like a DJ seminar. It's like DJ's conference, conference to get together mm -hmm. yeah. and kind of like talk about some of the struggles and uh, it, like that you might be having in your career. Mm -hmm. And then there might be some advice that some of these OGs can give you. Yeah. Some of the panelists on there were like. Uh, DJ Irie, there was um, Maz Medina, A Track, like we were just yeah, talking about. Z Trip was there. Z Trip was a, mm -hmm. uh, he said a lot of helpful shit. Uh, of course, Vice was there. Uh -huh. um, so they had Spider a bunch of different right panels and yeah. stuff like that. They had uh, a, like one panel that was focused on marketing and Instagram. What was that? That was called the Your Instagram Sucks panel. Okay. Was it helpful? I mean, did you learn anything? Did from you it? upgrade? Did you update your Instagram to not suck no more? <laughs> did you do that? Well, I, I will say this about the whole thing that they were doing with the Beyond the Music. I think seeing all of these DJs come together, yeah, mm -hmm. and communicate and voice some of their concerns with their career, where they're going, and there's so many different types of djs there's radio dj right yeah there's um club djs there's turntable lists and it was just there's so many different types of djs that it was good to have everyone in the same room and, and kind of talk about what were some of the issues that we all had and they even uh address like things like health like mm -hmm. how do you stay healthy how do you not over drink well, you know how do you like you know what you know mental health and stuff like that too. i don't know if they touch mental health as much oh, i didn't. actually wanted them to talk about uh i think they should have talked about you know like djs kind of around christian's age like your 20s right and yeah. maybe some of the social media pressures oh. that social media may give to you like uh mm -hmm. to be in competition with like 
others that with other know. DJs that maybe aren't feasible for you to be competing with. You yeah. know what I mean? But I mean, uh, it was helpful, and there was a lot of good stuff there, and mm-hmm. it was. Um, I think for the first one this year, I think it was really good. It was the beginning. Was cool. It was like a lot of DJs were like, "Yo, this is." <clears throat> this a great is great like, movement. Yeah. Well, I think it's important to create that union of DJs. Yeah, I mean, and I, no. I think it, it's a testament to the retreat that A Track came. Yeah, you know, that's a big deal. Came to this realization. Yeah, I mean, he got moved and he got inspired from it. Exactly. My only thing is, we we spoke about this a year ago, right? We we spoke about how DJs should be getting taught how to make you know to run their business as by themselves. And we talked about this for like fucking four episodes, I remember. So this is great. It's a great start. It's a great movement. Uh, get that, uh, was it, healthcare going. That's what I was <laughs> going to say. Like, I would love to see dental. maybe like a union formed at some point for us to get healthcare. Like, as I get older. I think like, that's I something know. that we've always talked about. Yeah, dental. Is healthcare. Something you brought up a lot, Cricket, which is dental. I think it's important. Eyes, yeah, um, everything. Because we've lost some fellow DJs to, to cancer. They, they didn't have yeah, proper I mean, not far, Yeah, not far away. Press the one, you know. We all kind of well. Press the one is alive. He's doing no, no. Yeah, but yeah, but when when it was time to donate and stuff like that, we all came together. Yeah, and, I mean, he had know. a GoFundMe, but I think yeah, yeah. I mean we all need good insurance because yeah. when you get sick and you can't DJ, I mean, you're just losing money every week, week after week, and yeah. then your hospital bills go up. And yeah. then There's only so much over-the-counter can do for you. I think when things are going good, that's not something that you think about is your health insurance. It's well, usually when something th- goes bad when you start thinking about it. I think the main thing I got from the conference or from the retreat was the <clears throat> disconnect that some of these superstar DJs have. Yeah. And there needed to be... A middle ground or someone a little closer to the, the attendees mm-hmm. that could kind of level the planes out for them yeah because there was too much of a disconnect to me from the bigger djs they didn't really know what it was for djs to struggle now in 2019 mm-hmm. and i think that was some of the problems there was some there was some advice that was i wouldn't have uh, I thought was maybe the wrong advice. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I actually had to pull some attendees to the side and let them know, like, yo, you know, you should actually do this and maybe do that. Just because I'm a little closer to their yeah. playing field than maybe yeah. a, a bigger DJ. You know what I mean? No, that's true. Because I think that maybe a DJ Vice, his struggles he may have had like in the late '90s, early 2000s, are different from someone yeah. coming. What's up going now. on right now? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And not to say that he. Not to say that there's a major disconnect, but just the times have changed. And because of the times have changed and then you have social media and you have all these things that are outside forces coming in, yeah. you know, you have to maneuver differently than maybe he did in yeah. his come up. I, w- I would like to work with DJ City, actually, uh, and Vice yeah. to kind of maybe curate and help curate and, and uh, organize the next Beyond the Music retreat. Yeah. I think it'd be great to have you guys there. I would love dope. to talk about mental um, health. And I think it'd be great to have a lot of guys like Rock the Con. You know, A-Track was there this year. Ross One would be dope. Ross One, a lot of, you know, I I think a lot of entrepreneurial DJs, such as like a Tina T who started a, you know, camp spinoff. Momo would be dope too. Scratch Someone like Momo who started their own party, a successful party. Scratch Bastard would be one too. Um, 
even guys like um, I would even like to see like Nugget. Like, yeah, he's, DJ Nugget. Yeah, I was gonna say DJ Nugget in Pittsburgh, yeah. who actually opened up his own bar and yeah. opened up his own club. Yeah. Those are the guys we want to start getting in there because those they're not necessarily superstars, mm-hmm. but they definitely built their they built their career from the ground up. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? And it started by DJing in the clubs, open yeah. format clubs. Mm-hmm. It it is definitely tied into what we've been talking about today. Oh, yeah. But I think I think that the main thing is the disconnect. Mm-hmm. I think that's the major thing right now. Yeah. Is that there is a disconnect even with yourself like you said Christian you're 20 years old to you before maybe before today the level of what a successful DJ was was a Steve Aoki an AM, right? Yeah. And it just seems kind of crazy that you know all of us DJs can reach that plateau. It's not easy. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But it is possible for you to earn a living from DJing. Yeah. You know, buy your own house. Yeah. Start a small business and then build that business and still DJ at the same time and raise kids and do all that. And then to yeah. me, that's the important thing. Yeah. That these motherfuckers should know that you can actually make a living, support your kids, you know, have them go to college, own your own home off of DJing. And to me, yeah, that is more important than trying to be. Uh, an A track, a superstar a, a DJ, superstar a fucking DJ with a yeah. cryo gun, yeah. right? <laughs> Even though the disconnect exists, I think it's kind of dope because it just shows the growth of the industry. Mm-hmm. Like. In, even in other industries, there, there's always a disconnect between older rappers and the younger generation of rappers right. or yeah. whatever. Like, it just shows the growth of DJing. Like, to where we're at that point where there is a level of disconnect where you can be that far up and then have the middle ground and then have the, co- the people coming up. Like, if we can, like, somewhere, some kind of way, like you said, have a middle buffer. Right. That maybe be us. That might be us. You yeah. know what I mean? Because, I mean, we give the people the platform here to kind of, like, you know, fucking share their stories and shit like that like yeah but we're not professionals in that in no, that area not. like for example like you talk about sports you guys know about sports a lot right yeah yeah as soon as motherfuckers join the nfl or the nba aren't there like people there to coach them on how 100%. to spend their money sometimes sometimes it, like jay-z kind of jumped on that's why one of the things jay-z jumped on was how to manage your money and how to work your money right yeah and because sometimes you get the agent and you get the big fucking like bryce harper just got 330 million with the Phillies for 13 years. Right. So, like, that's still going to get cut through an agent. You're still going to get taxed for every city you play in for that money. So, there's, like, so many moving parts, but you see the big money picture, but you don't know how to control your money or, like, yeah. just but work to it. To answer your question and to elaborate further on Jamie, like, in the NFL, they do have that. Like, if you enter the draft, um, you go to, like, a combine mm-hmm. where they test your height, your weight, your running ability, everything, and then they do offer or they do make you go through, like, courses, too. To right. Like, Money management, time management. When you're not playing and you're like on the off season, you don't know what to do with yourself. Don't get in trouble. Um, they just started doing this, right? Substance abuse, yeah. like staying away from yeah, like illegal ago. drugs and weed, and like right. they they start doing social media. Like watch what you say on Twitter. You're a professional athlete now. You can't just go on rants and do stupid shit because right, it can right. affect your money. And that's and, and that's the thing that I actually actually wanted there to be a, like a financial <clears throat> panel. Yeah. On how to like manage your finances. How to so save and, and pay for taxes? Pay your taxes like off, like yeah. if you're making you know three three to five thousand a month, you should be putting away twenty percent of your money for taxes. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like little things like that. Yeah. How to write off expenses? What are write offs? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. at a certain point, I thought dry cleaning was a write off. It's not a write off. You know what yeah. I mean? Mm-hmm. There's little things, but there are things like 
I don't know if this is true, but I don't do it. But my boy does it. He says like he's a producer, so when he goes to the movies, the ticket for the movies is a write-off because he's because he's doing research. Oh, that's dope. He's like researching music and soundtracks. Yeah. So there's there's little things that can can help you financially. If you buy books, that's a write-off. Huh? If you buy books, that's a write-off. Gas, yeah. money. And yeah. It's like, but not necessarily clothing. Is, clothing is a write-off. Yeah. You know what I mean? So <laughs> there's there's all of these loopholes that you need to know. Like, how yeah. does, do you need an LLC? When do you need to start an LLC? What kind of bank account do you need? You know yeah. what I mean? These little things were important. One of the the more productive, I thought, or like uh, informative panels was the breaking out of the bedroom panel. Mm-hmm. And it had almost no DJs in there. It was DJ Spider was actually the only DJ. Uh, moderating it, oh, okay. and Irie was in it. Uh, Yoni, who's a who's a manager agent uh, from DGI, uh-huh. and there was uh, Padram from uh, Tao Group, uh-huh. and um, they were talking about all of those things. And there was DJ Echo, who's Vice's manager, yeah, yeah. and they were talking about the business. And what nightclub, what what Tao Group is looking for in DJs, how they recruit, and what managers are looking for. And I was actually shocked at how much information regular DJs don't know about. No. And they really think that they should be, that getting a manager will ultimately result into more gigs, and it doesn't. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. there's all of these things that I think the retreat can really help with. And I think... If the retreat, when t- you know, when the retreat comes uh, for like twenty twenty, yeah, yeah, for twenty twenty next however, year, whatever they do twice a year, whatever, the, yeah, I mean, whatever it is, I will, I would love to like help curate that, and and hopefully uh, we'll try to. I think they sold out, and then, but I, I think they can add maybe a few hundred more attendees. And it was in Colorado, so imagine what a New York one would be or LA. Well, I don't one would I don't be. think the thing is you don't want yeah, the, yeah. the conference a, a big city. You oh, don't okay. want it to be in a, in an area of distraction. You want people to intermingle. Mm. Colorado's a little kind of like desolate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's off the grid so you're like forced to you know. Well, let's all go to Montana. I heard it's nice up there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, no, but you know what? The point, but, but, I, I, but but basically, what I'm trying to say is that you know, I think it is helpful, and I think as the retreat goes on every year, and if it continues, it it'll, it'll be more structured, and it'll yeah. probably be a lot more productive. Uh, I was gonna say, luckily, like you know, I'm blessed to have people like Cricket that when I started getting more money and working more, he's like, "Yo, don't spend it on this. Don't buy this. Don't buy this. Get put this away." And and it was just very like I don't know like a big yeah. like a big brother moment is like oh shit you, I wasn't aware of all this shit and when you broke down taxes to me and how to work that and then so I think it'll be you know that's what is needed as well yeah, yeah very, so very somebody few people are that fortunate to have yeah 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 that kind of guidance <laughs> as a you need a that guidance DJ. um that's pretty much it yeah uh yeah that's pretty much it on uh, beyond and honestly I'm exhausted from today this was uh, <laughs> dude we, we four hours, hours. Uh, four hours we've been here since 10 30 11 we've been yeah, working yeah. this has been an exhausting uh day episode but, uh, but enjoy yeah. the five hours of the Titanic that we just finished <laughs> we just recorded <laughs> and everything hey yo, but we're gonna end it over here um DJ city anything else guys um nah I think that's, that's it great right. talk today fellas all right yeah. man peace peace, peace. you're